The stress is all around us, these high ceilings and on Not my chicken greedy is that makes you It's the sign of the times I do believe And with whiskers sounding like a hand Wrapped between Once more I tell I'd like to call the regular meeting of the City Council Public Financing Authority to order. City Clerk, may I have the roll call, please? Yes. Councilmember Mosher. Here. Councilmember Bolton. Here. Mayor Pro Tem Burns. Here. Mayor Vandermark. Here. Councilmember Strickland. Here. Councilmember McKeon has requested permission to be absent pursuant to Resolution 2001-54. If there are objections, go ahead. Nope. All right, Councilmember Helmick. Okay, the minutes will reflect Mr. McKeon was granted permission. 
Thank you. Next is council member comments. Council, would anyone like to make a comment? Council member Bolton. Uh, World Teen Mental, Health, uh, Mental Wellness Day is observed on March 2nd every year. Its purpose is to raise awareness um, and decrease stigma and spark very important conversations on the topic of mental wellness and to make those experiencing mental health challenges aware of available resources. In recognition of this, the Love Like Alley Wellness Center, established in memory of Allie West, um, a Huntington Beach High freshman who passed away unexpectedly last year, will host the Love Like Alley Community Fund Run uh, the morning of March 2nd at Huntington Beach High's football stadium. Um, it's open to all ages and will offer music, fun, and refreshment, all in the service of reminding everyone about the importance of the mental health of our young people. So you can learn more at their website, their website which is lovelikealleywellness.org, and that's L-O-V-E-L-I-K-E-A-L-Y, wellness, oh, sorry, wellnesscenter.org. Thank you. Councilmember Moser. Well, um, Councilmember Bolton and I had the same idea, so I won't repeat everything that she said. Um, but I did ask staff to have the um, Love Like Alley Fun Run flyer available to post right now. I don't know if anybody's here to do that. No? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I also just wanted to acknowledge um, it's been a little over a year since Allie passed away, um, but she continues to have a major impact in the community through her parents and through the Love Like Allie Wellness Center. And um, I, my family will be participating in the fun run, and I want to make sure that everybody else has the ability to do that as well. I will, while it's being pulled up, show you. You can zoom in if you're on YouTube. <laughs> um, there is a QR code. Um, hopefully we'll, we'll get that up. Either way, I will go ahead and share that out later via social media as well. Um, so that's check-in at 845 on Saturday, March 2nd, kickoff at 930, swag, entertainment, refreshments. Make sure you wear purple, and let's continue to love like Allie. Thank you. Any other council members like to make a comment? Great, we'll move on. Announcement of supplemental communications. City Clerk, do we have any supplemental communications? Not for this portion, no, Mayor. Public comments. City Clerk, do we have anyone signed up to speak for this portion? Not yet. We'll wait till 6 o'clock. Okay. Okay, Council, do I have a motion and a second to recess? Moved by uh, Council Member Strickland, second by Mayor Pro Tem Burns. Off to close session. Some kind of magic ingredient that takes you there. Well, you just keep showing up. You just keep showing up. You just keep showing up. Yeah. 
I'd like to reconvene the regular meeting of the City Council Public Financing Authority. City Clerk, may I have the roll call, please? Yes, Mayor. Councilmember Mosher. Here. Councilmember Bolton. Here. Mayor Pro Tem Burns. Here. Mayor Vandermark. Here. Councilmember Strickland. Here. Councilmember McKeon has been, uh, is requested to be absent pursuant to resolution number 2001-54. Councilmember Kalmick. Here. All right, no objections to Mr. McKeon's absence. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, tonight, the Pledge of Allegiance will be led by Mayor Pro Tem Pat Burns. Put your hand over your heart. Ready? Begin. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Next, tonight's invocation will be given by Fire and Police Chaplain Roger Wing. Would you please pray with me as we begin tonight's uh, City Council meeting? Lord, as we begin our meeting tonight, we just want to pray for your wisdom and guidance as our City Council members consider each of the issues on the agenda this evening. We pray that you would speak to their hearts and minds of all of us, Lord, here tonight, that we might have your mind and direction on each of these issues that are going to be discussed. Lord, we, we live in a very divisive time in our country today, and, and that only becomes more heightened in an election year. And as we approach our upcoming local election, there are some very critical issues that are being decided, issues that we know people hold to varied positions on, and, and this can only magnify our emotions even more. But we pray that you, Lord, would grant each speaker tonight self-control, and that each of the attendees here this evening would afford our speakers and our city council members the dignity and respect that they deserve. We thank you, Lord, for keeping our city safe through the downpours that we've had, and we're all looking forward to bringing in a sunny and warm spring and summer season for all the wonderful events that'll be occurring in our city, and as we have the opportunity to welcome in all the tourists who will be coming to enjoy all that Huntington Beach has to offer. We ask you to bless each of our council members and their families, that you would keep them healthy and safe. We pray for our city attorney, that you will give him and his staff wisdom and favor in dealing with the many legal issues this city is, is dealing with. We pray for our city manager, and we pray for each and every one of our police, fire, and marine safety personnel as they so selflessly and faithfully serve our community. We ask your guidance and wisdom for each of our city leaders and we pray for all of our city employees who so faithfully and diligently serve us all. And we ask for peace and safety in our city as we enter into a new summer season. And Lord, we just want to pause for a moment to remember and to recognize our faithful brother, Nick Vela, as this is the second anniversary of his death as his helicopter went down serving the community he loved. We ask you to bless and to bring continual comfort to his family, his friends, and co-workers. And we want to never forget all that he gave to us and the legacy that he's left for us. Now we ask you, Lord, to bless our meeting this evening, and may your peace and wisdom guide all that occurs tonight. And as we enter the Lent and Easter season, may you direct our hearts and minds to you and your redeeming work on our behalf. 
And we ask this in your wonderful name, Lord. Amen. Next, we'll move to closed session report. City Attorney, do you have anything to report from closed session? Nothing tonight, Mayor. Thank you. Announcements of supplemental communications. City Clerk, do we have any supplemental communications? Yes, we do. For consent calendar item 9, an email communication regarding approval of final track map number 19118 for the Holly Triangle Townhomes at 19070 Holly Lane. Item 12 on the consent calendar, an email regarding the formal naming of parkland located at 17281 Eucalyptus Lane as Vela Park. For consent item 13, an email regarding proposed approval of a five-year professional services contract with PSQ Productions for the annual Independence Day celebration. For item 18, a memo was received from our police captain, Bo Swenswo, requesting that the item regarding contract extension with Universal Protection Services be withdrawn from tonight's agenda. So he's asking we take no action. And for council member items number 24, 63 email communications, received regarding council member Mosier's request for transparency and detailed reporting on the implementation of resolution number 2023-41 regarding library material accessibility. All these items were uploaded to council iPads and the web. Anything that comes in um, after today's publication will be uploaded to the, um, the page tomorrow. Thank you. Moving on to public comments. Do we have anyone signed up to speak? We have 74 signed up to speak. So I'm going to call them in groups like I normally do. And Mayor, you have an announcement. Mm -hmm. So given the number of speakers, we will reduce the time to two minutes. At this time, the City Council will receive comments from the members of the public regarding any topic, including items on the open session agenda. Individuals wishing to provide a comment may do so in person by filling out a request to speak from form delivered to the City Clerk. All speakers are encouraged but not required to identify themselves by name. Each speaker may have up to three minutes unless the volume of speakers weren't reducing the time allowance, which is now two minutes. Please note that the Brown Act does not allow discussion on items or topics that are not on the agenda. Members of the public who would like to speak directly with the council member on an item not on the agenda may consider scheduling an appointment by contacting the City Council and Administrative Assistant at 714-536-5553 or emailing the entire city council at city.council at surfcity-hb.org. Thank you. All right, I'm gonna call by groups. Please approach both podiums. Jay Darren Godden from City of Hope, Andy Einhorn, Barbara Shapiro, Shirley Detloff, Brenda Glim, Jeannie Paris, Delane Bailey, Ann Palmer, Patty Pappas, Urson Russell. Thank you, first speaker. Go ahead. Uh, good evening, Mayor Vandermark, Mayor Pro Tem, council members and staff. My name is Darren Godden. I am the Vice President of Marketing Communication for City of Hope Orange County. I'm here tonight to tell you about who we are and why we came to this community. City of Hope is one of the largest cancer health systems in the world, offering patients access to the most advanced cancer research, treatment, and cures. Four years ago, we announced our expansion to Orange County. At that time, nearly 20% of patients who were diagnosed with cancer found it necessary to leave the county to get access to the best specialists, the best clinical trials, and the best treatment options. 
About 4,000 of those patients were going to City of Hope in Duarte. We heard the call of our patients and responded with plans to build a second academic campus in Irvine, supported by a network of clinics across OC, including here in Huntington Beach. In August of 22, we opened the City of Hope Orange County Lennar Foundation Cancer Center. We are Orange County's only top 10 ranked National Cancer Institute designated comprehensive cancer center. Now Orange County residents have access to more than 600 physician scientists and more than 1,000 researchers whose highly specialized focus is dedicated to researching, treating, and ending cancer. City of Hope conducts more than 800 cancer-focused clinical trials every year and is a leader in pioneering research. Our discoveries impact more than 100 million lives each year, including the creation of synthetic human insulin and four of the world's most widely used breakthrough cancer drugs. We're a trailblazer in CAR-T cell therapy and lead the nation in bone marrow transplants. In 2025, we will open what will be Orange County's only specialty cancer hospital fo solely focused on cancer. Now, why is this important? Because sadly, one in three of us will be diagnosed with a cancer diagnosis in our lifetime. Your first shot at cancer is your best shot. Seeking care from the cancer experts of City of Hope ensures you have access to the most advanced research, treatment, and cures available anywhere. I encourage you this evening to know your risks and to stay on top of your screenings. I hope you never need our services, but if you do, or a loved one, if you or a loved one are ever diagnosed with cancer, start with hope. City of Hope Orange County is here for you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Next speaker. Andy Einhorn, Huntington Beach. The majority has stated that Huntington Beach voting is unsecure. However, you offer no proof or evidence of your theory. Show us your data and who published it. How many cases of voter fraud have been submitted to the Orange County District Attorney's Office? I say show us the data or stop these false lies. Voter fraud is virtually non-existent. The Heritage Foundation, a right-wing think tank, found one case of voter fraud in Orange County and none in Huntington Beach between 1982 and 2023. That's 40 years. The Orange County Registrar of Voters conducts the elections for all cities in Orange County. They are certified election professionals. Amendments A, B, and C are a complete waste of taxpayer money, <laughs> will cause further legal costs and additional vilification of our city in which the majority has propagated. These amendments embody yourself serving props and phony endeavors at personal games. Instead, roll up your sleeves and get to work here in Huntington. Stick to repairing roads, maintaining parks, local economics, public safety versus self-promotion, and career advancement up the political or legal ladders. The Orange County Register said, no on charter amendments A, B, and C. They encourage the council to get back to governing rather than political theater. We demand the freedom to vote is counted by professionals at the registrar of voters instead of your ranked amateurs. Vote no on amendment A, B, and C. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Let's see. Is this on? It's on. Okay. I have a video tonight. Can we show the video? 
Thank you. Huntington Beach is sitting at a fork in the road. We are at the verge of making a critical decision as a community that could forever change our future. Our city's financial outlook is at a tipping point, teetering on a cliff's edge. Measures A, B, and C have been packaged by the council majority and our city attorney as necessary steps for our city. But they're toxic to our community, detrimental to our city's budget, and hurt our reputation as a tourism destination. You must make your voice heard by voting no on measures A, B, and C. It's the only choice. The risk of these measures passing is not limited to the changes of our city charter, but it further empowers a far-right mega agenda. If measures A, B, and C are to pass, our city will take a sharp right turn that will take years to correct. Just get out and vote. Use your voice. Get out and vote. Stop this madness. Tell them we are tired of their power grab. Vote no on A, B, and C. Hi. Hi. In, conclu in conclusion, I'd like to point out a few things, set things, some things straight. There is no evidence of any voter fraud ever in Huntington Beach. Let me repeat, no voter fraud here ever. The Orange County Registrar is not going to help us with do this voter ID check. They'd be risking a costly legal battle with the state, like the city is. And our city council doesn't think they will either. Otherwise, why would they already be promising 20 new polling stations and two drop boxes? So what's this really about? It's a power grab. By forcing the city to run its own elections, the council will be able to dictate every little detail of how those elections are conducted, how, where, who, and when they get to vote. If Measure A passes, the council Thank will you. have the power. Thank you for coming. Oh. Mrs. Next speaker, go ahead. Good evening, members of the council. My name is Shirley Detloff, former mayor and a resident since 1964. Tonight I come before as a very angry and concerned citizen who has spent most of her adult life working to make sure that this is the very best of cities and the one you inherited. We started off your first year with controversy, going against protocol and history, selecting a mayor who had no experience governing a city, losing five department heads and our city manager, silencing the public voice when you eliminated very important commissions and committees, and the list goes on. This was followed by a surprise at every meeting. You close the year with three very unnecessary and costly charter amendments. When you put voter ID in Measure A, which would require voter ID when you vote, you forgot or you didn't want the voters to know that when they register to vote, they show voter ID. So when their names appear on the rolls, they have been thoroughly vetted as to whom they are. Then you added voter fraud. When you knew or should have known or should have asked the registrar of voters and would have found out there have been no cases of voter fraud in, or in elections run by Orange County. And did you inform the voters of the cost if we were to have to run our own voting system? New voting equipment, places to hold elections, hiring personnel, printing ballots. Who will pay the price? Now to the most ridiculous of measures, ballot measure B. When you already knew that this, you had an ordinance that allowed you to vote which flags could be flown on city property, did you think it was so important it had to be in the city charter? 
or were you afraid to have to deny an organization because of your own personal beliefs and the bad publicity that your decision would have brought? Measure C is the less, least con uh, controversial, but you included two sections that must be voted down. Thank you for Thank coming. You. Next speaker, go ahead. Remember the Twilight Zone episode, Monsters Are Due on Maple Street? When electronics mysteriously stop working on Maple Street, conspiracy theories convinced the neighborhood that an eccentric neighbor was to blame. The crowd's fears turned violent and an innocent man was murdered. The monsters did not have to lift a finger. They simply used fear, prejudice, and divide and conquer. HB has turned into the twilight zone. We have a rogue city council majority attempting to take over our city's elections by using the same age-old fear techniques. So they've led you to believe elections are fraudulent with zero proof. Should we feel safe in trusting our vote to be overseen by a person booted out of Ventura for money laundering? No. Should we trust a person without higher education and kicked off two school boards to have the power to cancel city council meetings at whim and ban books? No. Do you believe the absurdity that defending the city against potty training books is what will keep children safe? No. I urge you to vote no on mayors on measures A, B, and C. Don't let Huntington Beach enter the twilight zone. In the words of Rod Serling, fear can turn human beings into monsters, prejudice can kill, and suspicion can destroy. That was true in 1960 and that's true today. Thank you for coming. Next speaker. Next speaker, go ahead. I'm Brenda Glenn, and tonight I'd like to honor Black History Month. I'm... <clears throat> I'm, quote, <clears throat> I'm quoting Stacey M. Zabataro, who writes for policymakers and activists to affect change. The term woke has its roots in black culture, but has since been removed from this origin and been co-opted as a symbol by those who push back against social justice progress. With its roots in the black community, the words woke meaning to be awake to social oppression, helped to bring about legislation such as the Civil Rights Act of 1964. The term woke was brought to prominence by William Melvin Kelly in a 1962 New York Times essay, meaning the word, uh, meaning the word was birth in Harlem, the epicenter of black culture in America. Kelly argued that when words in black culture are co-opted by white people, they lose their real meaning. Boy, was he correct. 
The most visible way the term woke has moved into mainstream is through its rhetorical use in contemporary society. All we have to do is look at news outlets to see how the word is being used to denote opposition to any meaningful social justice efforts. It's even being used as a reason to pass legislation stripping away social progress. Um, uh, stripping away social progress or putting it back in place uh, to preserve white power structures. We are seeing this here in real time. Examples of signs with arrows popping up pointing to the opposition signs basically telling their workers, don't be woke. I read an interview where our mayor said, and I'm paraphrasing, that the rest of California is liberal, so why can't we just have our area? I personally think we were a great community of moderates, liberals, and conservatives that knew how to play in the playground together. We then elected five. Thank you for coming. Next speaker, go ahead. Hello, my name is Urson Russell, and I've dedicated the last two and a half years of my life traveling up and down this state from Sonoma County, Shasta County, down to San Diego County to learn about our elections in this state. I don't think anybody else that spoke here so far willing this, uh, again this evening has done anything like traveling up and down the state for the last two and a half years. Our election systems are a mess. The most important thing I can say here tonight in my two minutes is that this city council is the key to liberty, which we have a constitutional protection of. And you can see who's laughing in the audience that clearly doesn't care about this country, what it stands for. The city council is the first line of defense from the abusive overreaching governments in our county or state or federal jurisdictions. And they force their unconstitutional edicts coming down from the top. You guys are our first line of defense. You're the only place we can go to to help protect ourselves from the people up above that decide what your kids get to read or how you get to live. It's disgusting. One example of that, if you care to learn something, is the AB665, which could go as far as taking your 12-year-old putting them into a forced home and giving them puberty blockers because they think they're the opposite sex. That's what comes out of Sacramento. And clearly, we know who supports that here. It's disgusting. This is some of the insane, evil sickness that gets produced out of Sacramento over 1,300 times last election cycle. 1,300 times they passed this junk. A sanctuary city can prevent the federal government from knowing anything about the people that they're harboring in their city, but we can't go and ask for an ID to vote in our city. That's ridiculous. It's a joke. City councils fighting for their constituents is happening all over California and America. And the three of you are the ones that were dissented against this and endorsed the rebuttal against this. And you're going to hear more about that tonight. It's, it's, it's pointless. The whole, the whole piece of thing is junk, your whole rebuttal. So we're, we're here to talk about fighting for our elections at a local level. We have that right as citizens. And we need to do more of that in this country. Thank you so much for letting me speak. Thank you. Next speaker, go ahead. The comment from council members Kalmick, Mosier, and Bolton are that the proposed monitoring of ballot drop boxes is a form of voter intimidation, creating fear and uncertainty. We seriously need to get the three of you Gaslighter of the Year awards. The way you are misleading people is a disgrace. Let's start with the basics because you must be getting your information from your ISO-certified, award-winning Registrar of Voters, Bob Page. California Election Code 20135 Section E reads, if feasible, drop boxes shall be monitored by a video surveillance system. 
or an internal camera that can capture digital images and or video. A video security system can include existing systems on county, city, or private buildings. Dropbox security is not voter intimidation because the state is merely copying the requirements from the federal law for federal elections and that Dropboxes should have video surveillance. Voters have the option to vote by mail, turn in their vote by mail ballot at a vote center location, or vote in person. The point is voters are not forced to use Dropboxes and it's their choice. Another gem our legislators have created is the remote access vote by mail program that allows you to print your ballot at home. Nothing screams election security like that. They must think we're really stupid. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, Patricia Pappas, honorable Council members, mayor, staff, I um, am here to talk about voter ID, something that I believe in, and I think it's important to clear up any misinformation about requiring IDs to vote in our elections. As previously stated, city council members, and I read this, some of this in our, whatever that, whatever they send to us in the mail, the primary election um, booklet, um, but some of the city council members, such as Kalmick, wrote, and Moser and Bolton, um, endorsed statements like, this could cost us millions. It's an unnecessary financial burden. Um, just, I just, I want to say, look at the money that the, um, the conservative council is bringing in, looking at everything to save us money, and they've already done some of that. Um, we want to make sure that the city of Huntington Beach is crystal clear on what citizens want, uh, for our local elections, we're not talking about another ID, like a special voter ID. We're talking about our government-issued uh, driver's license, a California state ID card, military ID. Those would be acceptable forms of identification for voting in California. Um, so this is an important distinction tonight to make sure that we want to avoid dis more disinformation and lack of clarity of what the people of our city want for accountability and transparency of our elections. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Uh, thank you, Mayor Vandemark and council members. My name is Jeannie Paris, and I've been a 28-year resident of Huntington Beach. One of the claims being made is our elections are already secure, overseen by the award-winning ISO Certified Orange County Registrar of Voters. ISO stands for International Standardization Organization. City Council members, Kalmick, Moser, and Bolton all sign uh, the rebuttal in opposition to Measure A. They endorse statements that suggest the ISO certification of the county ROV equals election security. Our current election systems runs by, run by the county are a high-tech, cyber security, data management system like what a bank would use to protect our money. These are very complex processes and involve multiple levels of understanding. Bob Page, the OCROV, holds a bachelor's degree in religion from Dartmouth College and a master's degree in print journalism from Southern California, USC. Very commendable. However, these two degrees do not necessarily indicate a management um, professional capable of overseeing a high-tech cybersecurity data management operation. It's no wonder people are confused by this claim from the three city council members. 
um, acquiring certification from the International Standardization Organization is an accomplishment, and Mr. Page is 100% more qualified to follow and define standards than your average person. It, 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 it however, does, it does not equate him to being qualified to know all the ways the system and infrastructure can be attacked. By his own admission, his job is not to test the legitimacy of the vote, but to oversee the vote counting. It's a big difference. We can do better than this. Vote yes on Measure A. Thank you. Thank you. Good Just a second. They're working on the timer. Okay. Go ahead. Good evening. Ann Palmer, longtime resident of Huntington Beach. I want to take this opportunity to thank you, Michael Gates, City Attorney's Office, City Council, and staff. Your excellence, tenacity, and countless hours spent to regain local control of zoning and planning is recognized and appreciated. I'm not the only one who appreciated Michael Gates and his staff. Recently, Bill Brand passed away. He was the mayor of Redondo Beach and a longtime advocate of coastal excellence and hometown security and coastal living. He thought highly of Gates and of Huntington Beach. Right now, I want to ask uh, our council to issue a resolution in opposition of SB 951. This is also about housing, Sir, uh, Senate Bill 951, effectively decommissions our Coastal Commission. That means that all the protections that we have in the coastal zone would be wiped away and open for development. This is disingenuous at a time when we're asked to sacrifice for sea level rise, environmental emergencies, coastal erosion. They actually want to build unlimited on the coast. I request that you issue this resolution. You will receive an email from a statewide nonpartisan organization with more information, but feel free to contact me should you want any other information as well. I would also like to state that I do support voter ID. I think it's one way that we can ensure voter integrity and voting integrity into the future, removing ambiguity, not with any accusations that Orange County has done anything wrong, but something to make us feel more secure with the basic element of voter integrity. Thank you very much. Thank you. Just a second. Hi, I'm Barbara Goldberg. I'm speaking on behalf of Benjamin Benji Blum. The comments from council members Kalmick, who looks like he's asleep, Moser and Bolton, are that the federal law already requires accessibility at all polling places for those with disabilities. Making additional ADA compliant locations is redundant. Huntington Beach has 13 voting centers available during the upcoming March 5th primary election. Our city is over 26 square miles of land, which makes one vote every, for every two square city miles. Considering that Huntington Beach citizens with disabilities must travel within two square miles to be able to vote is wrong. We need to create more options for them to vote easily. I'm talking to you, Mr. Kalmick. 
Huntington Beach, like most other cities in California, used to have precinct voting where everyone, anyone, including disabled voters, only had to travel within their local community either to a neighbor's house, a library, or a firefighter station. But that was all eliminated in the 2016 Voter Choice Act. It should have been called the Voters Elimination of Choice Act because our citizens in Huntington Beach used to have over 60, 60 local community locations to vote and now it's been reduced to just 13. You think about that. How shameful that the three of you, I'm talking about the three of you, continue to dissuade and disenfranchise voters, especially voters in need of assistance. Giving voters more options, allow them to vote easily. Thank you for coming. Is the timer on? Yeah, I don't. It's working. Uh, okay. Okay. Hi. Um, Honorable Mayor and, and uh, City Council. My name is Ben Goldberg. Why is the City Council so important to the citizens of Huntington Beach? Fascism can be defined as oppressive dictatorial control. That is exactly what we have in Sacramento. Nobody believes our state legislatures read the 1,300 pieces of junk legislation from 2023 alone. The following bills were introduced by the amazingly evil California State Senator Scott Weiner. SB 145 allows convicted pedophiles to not register as sex offenders if the victim was at least 14 of age and difference was less than 10 years. SB 132 allows men to transfer into women's prison if they self-identify as a woman. SB 107 makes California a sanctuary state for child sterilization and gives the state power to take custody of kids from any state if parents disagree. We also have AB 1078. This little gem threatens to remove local control of school boards and to silence parents who object to inappropriate policies and sexual material in their schools. Our country was founded by the acts of Great Britain's taxation without representation. Today, that has been replaced by Governor Hair Gel Nuisance and the Democrat supermajority in California State Legislature. With the supermajority, one party controls everything and the other party is literally powerless to change anything. Without a balance of power, we don't even have a democracy, let alone constitutional republic. And the city has the power to fight for you and have the good leaders. Vote yes on A, B, and C. Send a message to the entire state that we will not be overrun by these liberal, crazy Democrats. Thank you. Yeah, next sense. Okay. The next group, please come on down. Kathy Ryder, Carol Dawes, Pat Goodman, Connie Boardman, Libby, Kay Goddard, Linda Moon, Joe Shapiro, Guest P, Karen Carroll. Hi, I'm Carol Dawes, longtime resident 
As a Friends of the Library volunteer, I talk to many Huntington Beach residents who treasure our public library. They are confused and angry about current policy changes brought on by the majority council. That's why I'm here to support Council Member Moser's agenda item to create transparency regarding restrictions at the library. By implementing her detailed steps, residents may finally be able to understand how library services will be impacted. The city's latest directive for relocating books now seems to suggest that only books with excessive sexual content be moved. What constitutes excessive sexual content? Who's providing the definition? But since there's no excessive uh, sexual content in grad Granddad's Pride, which is, uh, is plastered on one of your posters, I guess that will remain in the children's section. What about the entire manga collection at our library? These young adult books are very popular with teens. Most don't have sexual themes at all. The Prince of Tennis is about a 12-year-old tennis player for middle teen readers. It belongs in a teen section. But now that, teen, now that Teen Central is closed, these books will be in an adult section that requires parental consent for checkout. Kids as old as 17 won't even be able to browse these books if they have a restrictive card. I hope agenda item 24 will bring clarity and transparency to what has become a botched and totally unnecessary endeavor. And why did this happen? It's because when you have politicians taking over the jobs of professional librarians, chaos results, not to mention a lack of trust from the community. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good evening, I'm former Mayor Connie Boardman. I'm speaking in favor of agenda item 24 to bring transparency to your process of restricting access to books formerly in the children's section of the library, as well as explaining to the public the criteria used to move these books and the criteria that will be used by the book banning committee you've established to prevent books from even reaching the library shelves. The Huntington Beach Public Libraries and our librarians are well-loved and appreciated by most in our community. I'm disappointed that the four of you felt the parents and guardians of Huntington Beach could not be trusted to make the right decisions for their own children when deciding what books were appropriate for their children to read at the library or check out from the library. Bringing transparency to this process is the, is the least you can do, the least you can do for the public and the people of the city. To the voters of Huntington Beach, as you fill in your ballots, please vote no on A, B, and C. Measure A is estimated by the city's chief financial officer to cost between $1.3 and $1.65 million to implement, but that doesn't include ballot tracking or cybersecurity. Compare that to the bill the city received from the county for running the November 2022 elections, which was $303,655.86. Which makes best sense to you? Remain in the county's award-winning consolidated voting system or pay over five times more and beyond to implement a new city system? The choice is clear to me. Vote no on A. Measure B brings the requirement of a unanimous vote by the council into the city's charter and is rooted in hate and intolerance of the LGBTQ community. Intolerance has no place in our charter. Please vote no on B. Measure C allows the mayor to unilaterally cancel a council meeting. That's a bad idea and deserves a no vote. And please remember to vote by March 5th. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good evening, uh, I'm Pat Goodman. 
I want to take a minute to talk about what it means to me to be woke. And for me, it's awake and aware of what is going on in our city government. I've been working on the Protect HB campaign for the past five months. It will be finished at 8 p.m. March 5th. The purpose of the Protect HB campaign is to defeat ballot measures ABC because they are a huge waste of taxpayer money, unnecessary, illegal, and in my mind, undemocratic and unpatriotic. I'm very proud to have worked on this campaign and with a very creative and dedicated steering committee and hundreds of volunteers. It's been my honor to serve the campaign and the city I love to protect HB. This council majority, through these three ballot measures, has awakened me to how fragile and easily corrupted our democracy and government are. In uh, about a year's time in office, this council majority has trampled on norms, passed ordinances and re resolutions to disband committees and commissions, eliminated anonymous tips, raised campaign contribution limits 10 times, settled with a contractor and political crony, both the same person, for millions of dollars with unknown terms available to the public for scrutiny. They have put the city in jeopardy of fines, penalties, lawsuits, eliminating the city's zoning control because the majority council refused to approve a housing element. They have canceled the OCPA contract, thus eliminating consumer choice on energy supply, increased salary of the city attorney to a salary greater than Supreme Court justice. None of these actions strengthen our democracy or governance systems. These ballot measures, by the way, are the manifestation of the takeover of local government. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, go ahead. Kathy Ryder, HB, resident and voter since 1985. I want to thank Mayor Pro Tim Burns for putting the letter of solidarity on the February 6th City Council agenda. Because you see, that action brought national and international attention to the Protect HB campaign and all of our efforts to defeat ballot measures A, B, and C. You helped us build our donor base. And due to your actions, you helped us raise thousands of dollars to protect HB. And we are stronger than ever due to your voting actions. 90% of our donations are from people who actually live in Huntington. They're Republicans, Democrats, Independents, and most have never been involved in local politics until you, Mr. Burns, and the Majority Council started your political theater and culture war. So we applaud your efforts to help us defeat the ballot measures. We would have never been able to get such great media coverage without your help. I'd also like to remind you that black history is American history, and I'm not sure how Huntington is acknowledging it. As I noticed, there were no biographies of black Americans on display at my local library branch. Black culture has influenced our music, our literature, our art, our sports, and many inventions. It needs to be widely celebrated. I also fully support agenda item 24. The council majority promised transparency and accountability. So let's see that happen tonight with the unanimous vote. And to my fellow HB voters, I again urge you, to, urge you to vote no for A, B, and C. I trust the process. My vote has already been counted. Your vote is your voice. Use it. Thank you. Next speaker, go ahead. This is it. 
vote centers will be closing during the next city council meeting, so this is the last time I'll be able to remind everyone to vote. It's the last time I'll be able to remind you that it is entirely up to you to end the circus that the Huntington Beach City Council has become. You can end this madness by simply writing, visit, voting no on measures A, B, and C. If we successfully defeat these ballot measures, these efforts will be over and hopefully the council will get back to the business of the city that they were elected to handle. If the ballot measures were to pass, you can be certain the circus will continue. There will be lawsuits, lots of lawsuits. The mayor will tell you that it doesn't cost anything when the city is sued because the in-house city attorney will take care of everything. That's very misleading. Yes, the city attorney is elected and employed by the city, but just last year, this, his department got a huge increase in its budget and hired three more people because the workload is so heavy. He also received a huge raise to compensate him for his time commitment to the many legal challenges in this city. If the city council didn't continually put the city in legal jeopardy, the city attorney's office wouldn't need the extra staffing and budget. Nothing is free. We also don't even know how these ballot measures will be implemented. The children's library resolution was passed without clear parameters and instructions, and we've seen the absolute chaos and misunderstandings. If these ballot measures pass, we'll see chaos as legal challenges are presented on how to run the city's own elections, how exactly to implement a two-year budget cycle, and more. All this when the city is facing $144 million in infrastructure repairs and $24 million in deficits in the coming years. As part of Protect HB, we've received press inquiries from around the world. Huntington Beach and the extremist council is not attracting good attention. No one understands how those that are supposed to have a fiduciary responsibility to the city would move forward with ballot measures that put the city into unknown financial jeopardy without actually providing any benefits to the citizens. I don't understand it either. Stop the circus. Vote no on A, B, and Thank you for coming. Next speaker, go ahead. Mayor Vandermark, members of the City Council, and fellow concerned citizens. So much has been talked about fraudulent voting and won't Proposition A make citizens more confident in the security of our elections. I would like to demonstrate, um, Karen Carroll, I'm sorry if the visual didn't go up when I came on. I would like to demonstrate graphically not just how many instances of fraud in the state of California have been documented by the Heritage Foundation. These are the numbers of individuals and kinds of malfeasance cited in their report. Um, some of that is pretty small, so I doubt you can see all of it. Um, notice that there were two instances of, no, this is, uh, in a certain period of time, 4% uh, regi registration of non-citizens, 8% duplicate voting, 38% fraudulent voting registrations, 20% um, false registration of candidates, like living where they weren't running, and 16% um, false registration as a voter. Anyway, uh, 21 individuals were listed as having been criminally convicted, these are the criminal convictions, due to fraudulent voter registrations. But that small number here involved thousands of disqualifications. Names submitted included home, I'm talking about the signature gatherers. Names submitted included homeless, fictitious persons, forgeries, false registration by address, um, minors, and non-citizens. 
they were all um, accounted for and dis discounted. Um, often city, ex uh, city officials use these examples to show that the system works. Thank you. Uh, I don't know why our buzzer didn't go off. That went faster. Next speaker, probably. go ahead. Hi, my name is Joe Shapiro. Explain I'd like to cede my time, the two-minute uh, live so, time, um, to a video. at a certain level, as I, as I mentioned, we're mailing you about. So all. Explain and how the you video is shows Bob fraud. Page from the Orange County Register of Voters discussing the safe and secure elections that we have currently. So um, basically, at, at a certain level, as I, as I mentioned, we're mailing you about. So all voting is done on paper. Uh, I know there's some discussion about voting machines and the ability to potentially um, alter those in some way, but all voting in, in, in the state of California is done on paper. There's always a paper ballot, no matter what method you choose. So we'll always have that backup. That'll, that's what's counted as the paper. If you go to a vote center and you need assistance, you could potentially vote on a ballot marking device, which allows you to mark a ballot uh, on a touchscreen, but it still it prints a ballot that's on paper that was what we actually scan. Um, and so those ballots um, are all on paper. We always have one for every voter. We're only counting one per voter. Uh, and when you, if you mail one back, there, are, there is an ID code on each return envelope that's specific to the voter, but the ballot is not specific to the voter. It's specific to the precinct that they live in. Um, and so when those come in, we're tracking the ballot for each voter and marking that they voted. So if the voter tries to go and vote a second time, say they mail a ballot in and then go to a vote center and try to check in, our electronic roster will show that they've already voted and, and tell them that they, that they can't vote again. If they, are, if they say that they haven't voted, we'll allow them to vote provisionally. And then once we get that back in the envelope, we'll do additional research back in the office and confirm whether or not they've already voted. You were telling me before we came to air that there was a signature matching situation. Yeah, so with a with the mail ballot, uh, part of the process of returning a mail ballot is signing the outside of the return envelope. And when we get those back, we're scanning those those images on the on the return ballot, and we've got staff. Um, Thank you for coming. Next speaker. He was just getting to the good part. I'll have to talk about that. Good evening. I'd like to invite all of our city council members, Chipara, our city attorney, to the tour uh, that Protect HB is going to have for the award-winning OC, uh, OC Registrar of Voters. It's going to be Saturday, the 24th at 10:15. It's amazing. Um, so we have a flyer here to do that. This is an actual ballot right here. So when you talk about verifying your vote, you do do that right here. This little scan is me. Each one of you have a scan. You have a place here you have to put your signature. Your signature is your verification of who you are and your vote. If this doesn't match, so when you take this and put it through the machine, up comes all of your signatures from every record of every vote that you ever cast. They compare it to that. If they can't compare it, they'll send it to another person, a second person. If they can't compare it, they'll send it to a third person. If three people cannot verify that this is your signature to their records, they will send you a letter. You will sign, when you get the letter, you sign a verification that you, um, a document that this is your signature, send it back. They will take that document, compare it to all your other signatures, and then they will count your ballot. Why would we need another verification for your vote? I used the analogy before. You put a pair of socks on. You're trying to protect your vote. 
you got it with your signature. You put another pair of socks on, or socks on, you're protecting your feet, they're safe and they're secure. Why would you need another pair of socks to put on top of it? That might cost us somewhere about two to three million dollars to protect your feet. I don't laugh about three million dollars. So why do we need to have a, a somebody give another ID when the Orange County Registrar of Voters already verifies your vote? That's it. I hope Thank to you see for you coming. Good evening, I'm Kay Goddard, and I'm here to speak in favor of the item 24 with the transparency about what is happening in the library. Uh, giving my perspective that the city council is elected to manage the infrastructure of the city, meaning setting aside money for when it's time to redo the sewers or to repair the parks or to resurface the streets and other sorts of uh, administrative tasks of managing a city of this beauty and size. But what's happened here is we have this city council getting into the business of uh, the library, which I think this council's job really is to hire the people who have been trained to manage a library. And the idea that there's been one item selected, which is a perfectly natural human issue, that of becoming an adult and the changes your body goes through in puberty and becoming a mature adult able to handle your body's changes. Well, to make that an issue, as if the librarians had somehow nefariously put information out where it shouldn't be, and not trusting parents to, manage or, uh, man to monitor what their children are doing, which I think is every parent's responsibility, seems to me ludicrous. And the idea that it's not transparent, that you haven't explained to us what this committee is supposed to do, who's supposed to decide, it's kind of like, we'll know it when we see it. But the idea of learning to make your adult decisions is one of learning to find for yourself what you consider to be real, what you consider to be true, and therefore what you consider to be good. And you do that in becoming an adult, to become a mature person interacting in the collective society. By closing things out and saying you can only look at certain things because we're either afraid of or it's too complex. That is not how one grows and becomes a mature adult. So I ask you to tell us what you are trying to do. Thank you for coming. All right. Okay, last call for Linda Moon. The next group, Paula Schaefer, Meg Robinson, Buffy C, Ann Boren, Butch Twining, Benji Bloom, Deb Janice, George Washington, Valentina Bankhead, and Don Kennedy. First speaker, go ahead. Good evening, Mayor and Council Members. My name is Paula Schaefer. I'm a Huntington Beach resident and voter and have been since the early 1990s. My comments this evening are regarding the ballot measures A, B, and C and directed primarily to the public watching this meeting at home, maybe on YouTube tomorrow, and to the attendees who are backing the Yes on A, B, and C campaign. The promotion of A and B is an exercise in dishonesty. These are redundant of existing city and county measures. The Fab Four, as they call themselves, are simply pandering to the MAGA voters. 
What's dishonest about these? They claim the cost is negligible. That's not true. Placing it on the March ballot alone costs more than $350,000 than if they put it on the November ballot. And why are they doing this? What's the rush? Why is this redundant? They, the, regarding Measure A, when one registers to vote, as we have had explained repeatedly tonight, and you'll hear repeatedly again, and perhaps you'll attend the, re, the tour of the Registrar Voters Office on Saturday, which would inform you about this process, identification is provided and required. And the ROV confirms this in several different ways. And regarding Measure B, the City Council already has the authority to limit flags in the ordinance that you adopted last year. Aren't these ballot measures a perfect example of government bureaucracy and inefficiency that most taxpayers dislike? So why are you supporting these? And why are you supporting these at a cost of 1, .5, 1 to $1.5 million? And regarding C, the mayor should not have the authority to cancel a city council meeting, nor should you go to a two-year budget. There are too many instances that arise during a during one year that cannot be predicted and a two-year budget just is not going to be uh, adequate information to the public. So I have a new nickname for the Fab Four. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Thank you. Next speaker, go ahead. I am born Huntington Beach. The comment we are hearing and want to refute is that the city is unprepared to run its own elections. <clears throat> city council members Kalmick, Mosier, and Bolton all signed the rebuttal and opposition to Measure A. They endorsed statements like, Measure 1 misleads voters, threatening the security by potentially forcing Huntington Beach to conduct its own elections a task for which the city is unprepared and lacks infrastructure. The three of you continue to show a pattern of a lack of credibility. You use straw man arguments defined as the logical fallacy of distorting an opposing position into an extreme version of itself and then arguing against that extreme version. The claim that the city is unprepared for elections that will commence over two years from now in 2026 is grossly disingenuous and misleading to voters. This portion of the language is simple to understand. The city may require voter identification for elections, provide more in-person voting locations, and monitor ballot drop boxes. You even wrote the LA Times, and I quote, our city is unprepared for this shift. The Orange County Registrar of Voters implied Huntington Beach may have to manage its own separate elections. If that is the case, then it sounds like Bob Page should be preparing his departure soon as well. Perhaps the concern of the citizens here should be the three of you still sitting on this council or the three of you doing everything in your power to sabotage and undermine the power of the people over their own local elections. We are the government and you are only in those seats to do the job we require of you. In closing, let us all be reminded that less than 10 years ago, for generations, cities could run their own elections and only in 2015 was a change forced onto cities with the passage of SB 450. Thank you for coming. Good evening. 
Huntington Beach resident and homeowner for 35 years. Listen, Huntington Beach, here's the truth. You are being swindled. The truth is that this is a political stunt for Tony Strickland and Michael Gates at the expense of the taxpayers of this town. The truth is only 15% of voters may be asked for ID. The rest vote by mail or Dropbox. The truth is they know there is not voter fraud in this town or they would not be sitting there on the dais right now. The truth is, this is Tony Baloney's little pet political project so he can make the news. The truth is, he is using us. He is wasting our taxpayer dollars as a stepping stone for his political aspirations. The truth is, Michael Gates went to see Trump and like a little fangirl, shouted that he was bringing voter ID to Huntington Beach. <laughs> He's willing to waste your taxpayer money to get noticed by his idol Trump. The truth is, and Gracie herself said this out loud on TV, mail-in ballots will not be subject to voter ID. Ha! And get this, just this past weekend, at their canvassing rally, and I quote from one of their attendees, today at the Patriot rally, there were questions about the legality of the voter ID proposal. The speaker answered that they were hoping to initiate a voluntary voter ID system where the poll worker would ask for ID, but the voter was not required. I repeat, not required to provide any. WTF. They certainly had better make sure Thank you for coming. Thank you. Next speaker, go ahead. Good evening, uh, Mrs. Mayor, uh, Mayor Pro Tem, and uh, the rest of the City Council, uh, City Attorney Michael Gates. My name is Butch Twining. I'm currently a planning commissioner uh, and candidate for city council in November of 2024. Uh, I'm a 58-year resident of Huntington Beach. I'd like to here tonight to uh, speak in support of the voter ID amendment. The complaint from the council members, uh, the Honorable Kalmick, Mosier, and Bolton, are that claims that this measure requires government-issued photo identification are misleading. This requirement is absent from the amendment. The actual proposal which all voters should read is that the city may require voter identification for elections. Under the law, may require is optional and shall require is mandatory. There is some merit in their statement that the amendment does not require an ID to vote, but it does allow for the city of Huntington Beach to make that decision over the next two years. Without this specific language, the amendment contains this would not be possible. It is, it is the good citizens of, of the city of Huntington Beach to have the option to make those decisions for themselves through their city councils and the charter of our city that governs affairs. That is why passing ballot measure A is best because the city gives it to all voters in their security. We also need to point out that we are encouraged to know that the voter ID is so important to council members Cal McMosier and Bolton that they pointed out how important it is to have that in the, included in the measure. We should see them 
being big proponents once this measure passes to make sure ID is required in the 26 elections. IDs are required to buy, to drive a car, buy booze, cigarettes, pot, donate, get married, apply for a loan, fly on a plane, rent a car, gamble in a casino, or enter a bar, visit a jail, buy an M-rated video game, join the military, adopt a child, join the gym, or picking up. Thank you for coming. Good evening, Don Kennedy, council candidate. I'm here to talk about Measure A, but let me start with a reminder for that hard far left. We're one nation, now hold your seats, under God. Now America wants secure borders, and so does HB. America wants secure elections, and so does HB. Measure A is a solution to a problem. The comments from Cal McMoser and Bolton, our current election system is secure. There's no fraud. Well, let's just make sure. Measure A is designed to help give us secure elections. It's called local control. Peace of mind is priceless. Why would anybody be against that? Uh, all systems are run through computers. You want us to believe that nothing can be hacked. Well, every major institution, including the government, has been hacked. Banks, tech companies, Fortune 500 companies, Home Depot, Walmart, Target, the list goes on and on. They've all had massive security breaches. I know uh, firsthand, and most people here have heard that message, your identity has been compromised. That's a familiar message. Yeah, we're supposed to believe that this won't, this couldn't, this hasn't happened here. Measure A is designed to help secure elections. It's called local control. Peace of mind is priceless. Why would anybody be against that? Citizens are getting involved because we're tired of being told there's no evidence of fraud. Measure A provides a solution to a problem. It's called local control. Peace of mind is priceless. Why would anybody be against that? Protect our votes. You want secure elections? Vote yes on Measure A. The left has signs that say, Protect our beaches. This is a ruse. This has nothing to do with the beaches. HB, you're way too smart for that. In reality, vote yes on ABC sign should say, protect our kids. Nothing is more important for the future of our youth than secure elections, so vote yes on A. Eliminating identity politics, vote yes on B. Sound fiscal uh, budgeting, eliminating a repeat of the four vote, bold, gotta say that slow, vote yes on C. It's as simple as, if you love HB, vote yes on ABC. Thank you for coming. Valentina Bankhead. Uh, I'd rather be a man, a fanboy of Boeing over uh, Trump with voter ID than being a 12-year-old girl being sniffed and fondled by Joe Biden. So just letting you know. The comment from council members Kalmick, Mosier, and Bolton are that these items are all subject to challenge under state and federal law. Again, more of our money flowing out of the city spent on needless court costs, quote unquote. This is another bogus claim from their endorsed rebuttal to the argument in favor of Measure A. The three of you have shown you your strong support of an ID requirement. We know more voters centers there were typical less than 10 years ago and that video surveillance is in fact required by law because the law states drop boxes shall be monitored. From a legal perspective, shall is a mandatory requirement and yet the three of you don't even care. This is another example of self-serving politicians who will say anything and do whatever it takes to keep their power. Lying to voters and exaggerating facts using fear and intimidation seem to come naturally to the three of you, kind of like Tory Johnson today. Then you claim that your ISO certified ROV with zero experience in cybersecurity or the risks associated with large data 
set management is qualified to stop cyber crimes or even maintain cleaner voter rolls, how are we all supposed to trust you? Our city currently sits with four council members willing to fight for what is best for us and three members willing to side with the fascists in Sacramento to tell us how we are all allowed to live our lives. That is why what is best for all of us this March is to vote in favor of Measure A and then in November elect three more servant representatives. Sacramento is over 400 miles from our beautiful surf city, and it may as well be a million miles away if it were dependent on our values as a community. Do we want a fragile balance in our city council to fight Sacramento or a fearless and aligned group of representatives to never stop fighting? Let's make sure we send a message this election season that Huntington Beach will govern our own affairs until Sacramento... Thank you for coming. Okay. Last call for Meg Robinson, George Washington, Benji Bloom, Deb Janis, the next group, Chad Williams, Luann Shoup, Janet Jacobs, Ken Inouye, Cindy Mannion, Linda Diaz, Becky Ettinger, Shannon Eggleston, Barbara Richardson, Yolanda Campos, Jeannie Gooden, speaker go ahead hi um, thank you for letting me speak and thank you for the fab four for fighting for us and for Michael Gates thank you for fighting Sacramento for us my name is Janet Jacobs and I'm a 40-year resident of Huntington Beach and I support measure a for voter ID you know I think it's interesting that today we have to provide ID wherever we go for everything but it's absolutely not required for our voters, for our voting, really. Um, we need to protect our precious vote. Contrary to what many are saying, we will not be spending money issuing voter IDs because California state um, driver's license, the identification card, or a military ID will suffice. You know, there's 34 states out of our 50 states that require some form of ID to vote. 20, 23 of those require a photo ID. We require nothing, really. Therefore, you know, asking for an ID is considered the standard in the elections in our country. We have about 135,000 registered voters here in the city. We used to have over 60 voting local polls all over the place in your neighborhood, different. Um, locations and now from 60 to 13 that's nuts um, we also keep hearing that the certified registr registrar voter staff keeps our election secure however I find it a little strange that Bob Page our Orange County registrar of voters holds degrees in religion and journalism how exactly does that qualify him with a massive responsibility to oversee the security of our voting there's 40 European countries that require voter ID, even Mexico, yet California doesn't, really? Thank you for coming. You can go ahead. Hello, Honorable Mayor Grace. My name is Linda Diaz, and I've lived in Huntington Beach for over 30 years. Firstly, 
I'd like to thank you, thank you, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for ensuring that books containing sexual material are not permitted in the children's section of the Huntington Beach Library. <laughs> I'm speaking to you, all of you. I was a caregiver for over 10 years to two small children, free of charge. They weren't my grandchildren. I visited the Huntington Beach Library every week, when going to the puppet shows, enjoying the books, the readings, all of it. It's beautiful, it's a wonderful adventure, a wonderful experience, and really, that's for the parents. It's not necessarily the parents that are taking the kids to the library. So that's really something to keep in mind when you think about um, putting those types of materials anywhere near, near the children. Your, de your decision to put the children first provides a safe environment for all children no matter who takes them to the library, and that's the most important part. Now you talk about ID, try getting a Huntington Beach Library card. You gotta show ID. It's, if it starts there, we need to also show ID for voting. Yes, on measures A, B, and C. And at Huntington Beach, we don't give territory, we take territory. So we wanna take control of our voting rights. And we're adamant about it. Our, our vote is precious, our vote is priceless, and Huntington Beach should be controlling its own primary elections. For over 30 years, I've been voting in garages, churches, fire stations, community centers. It worked. And all of a sudden, this voter mail, this voter mail-in, mail I don't know, is, is what you want to do. You know, it's, it's not what the people want. You know, we're about community. The register says, pass the book to Santa Ana. We don't, we don't want to. Thank you. Thank you so much. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Becky Edinger. I'm a resident, taxpayer, homeowner. Um, I'm a retired nurse, 48 years of nursing. I had a doctorate degree in nursing, professor of nursing really into looking at statistics and data before I ever get up and talk to anybody about anything. And so I just wanted to give some evidence about why I think Measure A should pass. And I found this beautiful audit that was done regarding the California 2022 election that was done. And this is by the Transparency Foundation. And this is what they said. California by far has the worst election practices in the nation. I was blown away by this. I'm like, oh my God, we're, I, we're worse than I thought. But um, it just says, investigators who compiled the report not only interviewed state and county election officials, but also conducted an independent audit over 18 months of California's election practices, voter registration list, ballot signature reviews, and discarded ballots. Out of the 10 criteria that they analyzed, we failed in nine of the 10. The only one that we did well in was in following our, our, the ballot. Like you could like um, see where your ballot was, but all the other ones, we horribly failed. And so I, because, many, many people have already said, we have to show our ID. We get in our car to drive anywhere, we have to have our val a valid ID. We go to the airport, we have to have a valid ID. We have to have a valid ID. I went to the spa to get a facial. What do they want? My ID. I'm like, okay, here's my ID. But anyway, that's that on voter ID. And this 
This is an incredible thing. I'll give it to anybody who wants it. I was blown away by it. It's a very extensive, detailed data report, which is what, as a nurse with a doctorate degree, this is what I was trained to analyze data in. Um, the other thing is, in ensuring fair and honest elections, what they- Thank okay. you for okay, coming. Next speaker, go ahead. Barbara Richardson, 51-year resident. I see signs saying no woke agenda. I take this to mean that voters need to wake up and not sleep through this election. They need to see how the council's agenda to push residents to vote yes on measures A, B, and C is detrimental and not in the city's best interest. Residents need to vote no. The council members pushing A, B, and C are also the same people considering privatizing our library. Now they can claim it's all about saving money, but what it really is is an attempt to control what books and programs will be available for the residents. We will go from having the Huntington Beach Public Library and Cultural Center to having the Huntington Beach privatized Moms for Liberty Library. Currently, our librarians are being thrown under the bus by being ordered to remove children's materials deemed unacceptable. They do not have a written list. The criteria given to them is so broad and so vague, it is an impossible task. All the children's books have been positively reviewed by accredited review sources. The council members who voted for these book restrictions need to name all the titles they want removed from the children's area. Or are these vague instructions merely just another ploy to be used as, as an excuse to privatize our beautiful library? So yes, Huntington Beach, if you don't like what's happening to our library, if you don't like the direction our council majority is taking, then fight against their agenda. Send them the message. Vote no on city measures A, B, and C. Together, we can fight to protect our library, and we can fight to protect our city. Let's keep our public library public. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, go ahead. Concerning voter ID, the complaint from council members Kalmick, Moser, and Bolton are that our current election system is efficient and cost-effective. You should be ashamed of yourselves for even using words like efficient and cost-effective to describe our current election system, but the three of you keep showing patterns of disingenuous claims based on no sense of reality. We have 29 days of early voting in California elections, which means we don't have an election day like most states or other countries. We have an election season. Miraculously, you claim that 29 days of election is somehow cost-effective and efficient. We want to know if there is any claim you've made that is based on facts. Add to that the seven days after election day to receive ballots that are properly postmarked, and we are at 36 days. Then there is the ballot curing process of fixing ballots that were received with errors that gets to occur up until two days before the 30-day certification period, which takes us to 57 days. Then we have 10 days of early in-person voting and even more vote centers that open four days before election day, all with staff being paid regardless of being busy or not. We have millions of registrants that are not eligible to be on our state voter rolls that will automatically receive a ballot in the mail. The stack of wasted unused ballots since 2016 is over 75 million. 
the three of you should resign from associating those words with our election system because efficient and cost-effective have no bearing in the truth, and you all knew it when you endorsed these statements. At what point are you going to decide to be honest with your constituents? You three have no idea how our election system runs, how secure it is, or how efficient. Thank you for coming. Go ahead. Good, morning. Good evening, Honorable Mayor and Honorable Members of the City Council. My name is Kenny Noway. I'm a 50-year resident of Huntington Beach. I'm not here today to make any accusations, but just point out some facts. As we look at, as we face the very important evaluation of the Charter Amendments, I would like all of you to look at the ballots that were sent to all of the voters in Huntington Beach. I invite you to look at that because it has the following facts. Charter Amendment A is supported by only two members of the City Council. Two. Charter Amendment C is supported by one member of the City Council. One member. These are facts. These facts suggest that after hearing the information that was presented to the City Council by the residents of Huntington Beach, that the City Council majority has determined that they do not support the passage of these charter amendments. Based upon this information, I urge all of the members here today and all of the people that listen to this telecast to follow the lead of the City Council and to vote no on the proposed amendments. At this time, I would like to thank the City Council for the positions that they have taken. And I hope that this precedent will allow the City Council and the leadership of Gracie to take on items that are truly city business, such as balancing the budget, such as really reviewing the costs associated with the fact that we have major infrastructure costs that we need to address, and concentrating on other policy decisions that will affect the quality of life for every person in this room. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, go ahead. Good evening, Council. My name is Chad Williams. I think that something we all can come together on is the agreement that it is a blessing to be an American. And we take into consideration what's so great about being American. It's the freedoms that we enjoy, realizing they don't come freely. They were paid for at the cost, the currency of our soldiers' blood, on the battlefield, those that have gone before us and said things like, give me liberty or give me death. And those words were penned into history in our Constitution, securing the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity. And I do believe with these charter amendments that we have before us, this is a furthering of the blessings of that liberty. But there is an opposition out there, concerned. They want to know, what about the cost? Well, best case scenario, what does it cost to train a volunteer to simply check an ID at a poll? Worst case scenario, there is this fear-mongering going around. You know, what if we get sued? The threat of being sued. You should never be afraid of being sued as an American. It's the most un-American thing if you have righteousness and you have the law, you have the Constitution on your side, which begs the question, do we have the Constitution on our side? Well, I have before me the California Constitution, Article 6, Section 5, focusing on this clause that grants city charter supreme authority over municipal affairs. And it reads, it says, city charters... 
adopted pursuant to this Constitution shall supersede any existing charter, and with respect to municipal affairs shall supersede all laws inconsistent therewith. That's otherwise known as home rule, and under that home rule is the conduct of city elections. And so, I hope you realize that this gives us priority over conflicting state law. The Constitution is on our side. And we expect all of you that swore an oath to uphold the Constitution to be courageous as our leaders do not be cowards. And so when we have the threat of being sued, stand up and be courageous. So come November, just remember, folks, we have a, an opportunity to change our nation, an opportunity to change our city. It's going to be 7-0, and that woke agenda has got to go. God bless you all. Okay, last call. Cindy Mannion. Shannon, okay, go ahead, Cindy. Shannon Eggleston, Yolanda Campos, and Jeannie Gooden. Go ahead, Cindy. Good evening. I'd like to share a little bit tonight about why voter ID is even on our ballot. You might remember in the 2020 election, about several months before the election, Donald Trump started to say, if I lose this election, it must be because of voter fraud. That's exactly why this is on our ballot, because Donald Trump wants this to be on our ballot. I want to talk tonight to all of you at home that haven't yet cast your ballots. You may not remember that on September 29th of 2023, Huntington Beach had its air show. And on Friday, that air show was turned into a political rally for, for Donald Trump. Many residents went to enjoy the air show and instead they were exposed and forced into that rally. Donald Trump's low flying plane over the sands of Huntington Beach with him yelling out on the PA system, Thank you, Tony Strickland, for your endorsement. Okay, I'd like to have that 15 seconds back, please. Seriously, that, it was 12 yes. seconds. I watched it. That wasn't it. 12 seconds. No, it was. I watched it. Keep going. Keep going. You're wasting your time. That night, there was a fundraiser that was held for Mr. Trump when Strickland and our unbiased city attorney, Michael Gates, went to that fundraiser. And Michael Gates told Donald Trump in front of a big crowd of people how proud he was that Huntington Beach now had voter election on the ballot. Only one thing, it hadn't yet been voted on. At the next council meeting, October 5th, is when our council voted to pass that at the cost of $450,000 to all of our residents, even though our city staff had said it would cost millions of dollars to do it. Please, I ask you, if you Thank are you for coming. and you know- Thank you. I'm gonna call the next group. The next group. Larry Scheel, sorry, Cindy. Darcy Lucero, Dino Ferraro, Lisa Ferraro, Russ Neal, Barbara Van Dyne, Nora Peterson. Jacqueline Broat, 
Jacqueline Broke. Roy McCord. Larry Scheel, Darcy Lucero, Dino Ferraro, Lisa Ferraro, Russ Neal, Barbara Van Dyne, Nora Peterson, Jacqueline Brout, Roy McCord. First speaker, go ahead. Good evening. I'm Barbara Van Dyne, and I'm a 27-year uh, resident of Huntington Beach. And before I begin, all I can say right now is, wow. Um, anyway. The uh, public libraries were founded in the United States to ensure that all people had equal access to all written material as part of being a democracy. The city council majority's decision, without a citizen vote, but with hundreds of citizens uh, objecting, to overhaul the Huntington Beach Library by banning books, changing signage, moving books, changing library cards, and controlling what books were purchased, all of which are the duties of the head librarian, a professionally trained individual in library science, defeats the purpose and intent of a public library. No doubt the next step, if they stay true to the national right-wing agenda, will lead to a majority, in quotes, vote to privatize the library, <coughs> which is a national right-wing agenda that we see across this country. This is a gut punch to the beginnings of a challenge to the First Amendment and the freedoms of the citizens of the United States to have access to information to freely educate, be freely educated people. What this is is a nationally sponsored right-wing agenda to attack our constitutional rights and the freedoms we are also proud of. As I listen here tonight, I recognize the fact that this issue of transparency is even more important because we are having rumors spread all over the city about what's really happening. And if we, all of you owe it to us to truly understand the truth of what's going on within the public library system. With a deficit budget, decreasing sales tax, increasing infrastructure issues, not to mention the city doesn't even have a city manager due to all this chaos, it's time to focus on running the city of Huntington Beach. That is why you were elected, and I believe you took an oath to that effect. Thank you. Next speaker, go ahead. Hi, my name is Lisa, and I've been a resident of Huntington Beach for 35 years. Council members Kamalik and Moser and Bolton have shown that they are clueless to how our election systems run in California, so let's help them. We have an anomaly with a voter's birthplace not being included in our registration records. Although this is not required by law, it should be of concern that Orange County has over 290,000 registered voters missing a birthplace during the 2022 elections with over 87,000 voting in the election. This does not equate to fraud, but consider this. The DMV has nine ways to get an ID or driver's license, and with six or seven of the methods, you will never see a person. Those methods are one, DMV renewal by mail. Two, DMV field office. Three, DMV driver's license internet renewal. Four, DMV COA. Five, DMV internet change of address. Six, DMV kiosk duplicate driver's license. Seven, DMV motor voter change of address. Eight, DMV online duplicate driver's license. And nine, DMV driver's license ID renewal by mail. It's also important to note that of the 290,000 registrations missing a birthplace, 
over 55% of them come from some form of interaction with the DMV. Couple that with the fact that California gives driver's licenses and IDs to all legal and illegal non-citizens, and the fact that the care and thoroughness of the staff at the DMV is not stellar, it creates an environment with little to no accountability. And don't pretend the DMV and county are working together. They're not. The DMV updates all go through the state first and then get pushed to the counties. This is why we need local control of our elections. Thank you. Thank you. Go, go ahead. Good evening, oh, Darcy it, Hold Lucero. on a second. The oh. timer's not on. Is she on has red? to say her name first. Oh. Go ahead. Darcy Lucero, good evening. Concerning central control of California elections. Council members Kalmick, Mosier, and Bolton have shown us that they are a little bit in the dark on how our election systems run in California, so let's shed some light. Have some self-respect. VoteCal, this is a statewide database that connects the county databases to the states. This system has only been in place since 2016, and before that, counties had no central control mechanism connected through to the state. Yes, it is true that there was a constant communication between counties and the state because the law requires updated voter rolls, but there was never a system before the VoteCal system that connected them together. The VoCal system has an application program interface, API program, to connect entities directly to the state database. The DMV has direct access to our statewide voter rolls along with Citizens for a Sound Government, Fenton in Los Angeles, Connect Inc., NextGen Climate Action, Rock the Vote, Trilogy, Turbo Vote, and one university, for some reason, UCLA. So why does UCLA have access to our state voter rolls, but no other college does? A company called DMF and Associates out of Irvine, California, has their hand in 43 of our 58 election system infrastructures, including Orange County. Maybe the three of you, two absent, um, care so much that you could get their management to maybe come before the board and tell the Huntington Beach citizens what role they play in our elections because they won't speak to the people. The DMV now automatically registers someone to vote when they get a new or updated ID or driver's license. It Thank you for coming. <laughs> Next speaker, go ahead. I'm Nora Peterson. I'm a 37-year Huntington Beach homeowner. I vote. I always vote. I've just learned that the foolish four members of the city council have shut down the teen section of our library. Gone are the bean bags and the specially curated teen books. The new policy for library cards requires their mommy's and daddy's permission to check out books. Young adults will have a choice of sitting at the cute little pirate boat with the little kids in the children's section or sitting at desks in the adult section. I think they will choose neither and will be driven from the library. The joy of reading and the power to investigate will be gone for them. Secondly, do parents of small children want teenagers to sit with their children in the pirate boat? I say not. The Huntington Beach teens 
represent the future of our city. We need to culture divergent forward thinkers to grow effective participants in society. Exposure, discussion, and contemplation of ideas are, are paramount. Public libraries and freedom to read are sacred for this very reason. The city council is stifling growth of youth in favor of lockstep narrow-mindedness. After asking for nearly a year, I still haven't received a list of books and material to be removed or recategorized in our library. Is there a rhyme or reason for relocations? What is the criteria? What is the background of folks who serve on this parent review board? Why is this information being withheld from the public? I support agenda item 24. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Next speaker, go ahead. Hi, sorry. Hi, I'm Jacqueline Brote. Um, I'm a resident of Huntington Beach, obviously. I am a current board member of the Huntington Beach Wetlands Conservancy and a former board member of the Friends of the Library. The amount of money and energy being put into the measures A, B, and C is absolutely mind-boggling to me. What's even more mind-boggling is that as we are here talking about these issues, there are multiple trash cans out in the lobby collecting rainwater from the ceiling. I had to find the irony in that as I was going to use the ladies' room as I saw multiple trash cans. Isn't that more important to correct? Um, like broken items here at City Hall, our library has and always will be a great place to be. And flying the pride flag at City Hall, for me, that was such a great day. That was when I saw how progressive and accepting our city had become. Um, it seems we have made two giant steps backwards in the past two years, and it is so heartbreaking to be witnessing what is happening to our city. I am in support of item 24, and I want to thank you, Natalie Moser, for spearheading this and for submitting this item. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Have a good night. Madam Mayor, Council Members, thank you for this time. I'm a 35-year resident of Huntington Beach. My name is Larry Scheel. I love the city. I love the way our lifestyle is. And I can certainly understand why people from other nations want to live in this country. But right now, our borders are open and people are streaming across, and we simply don't know which ones are friendly and which ones want to kill us. Now, this is not about border security, but it is about protecting our city. So with all the cyber attacks going on, attempted cyber attacks and everything, this is something we need to plan for. Secondly, there are a lot of uh, evidence about voter manipulation in the last couple of elections, claims about, about uh, ballot stuffing and harvesting and all kinds of stuff. Um, that needs to be ensured that we don't have that again. But the third issue, near and dear to my heart, is that I'm a senior citizen. Like a very large percentage of Huntington Beach, I have a tremor. Many of us have Parkinson's. We simply can't sign our name twice the same way, no matter how hard we try. Very little is said about senior citizens, and our voice needs to count. So all of these things can be solved very, very simply with voter ID. We need to quit. Quit worrying about lining up a signature and focus on who's actually 
placing that vote. That's what voter ID is, and we need to do this. And I pray that each one of you here today will take that into careful consideration and get behind this. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you. <clears throat> uh, good, uh, good evening, uh, Mayor Vandermark and council members. My name is Russell Neal, and I live in Huntington Beach. Uh, in response to the council's direction to relocate age-inappropriate sexual material in the library, we have seen some media hit jobs, including a recent KCAL 9 report purporting to show innocent books being moved. Shockingly, library staff appears to have been involved in creating this false political narrative to embarrass the elected city council and subvert its authority. Political activity like this is not the role of city employees. And I would ask you to have the city manager investigate this and take the necessary corrective action. Council Member Moser's item 24 may raise some interesting points but it's unreasonably excessive in its demands. It also appears to be an attempt to sabotage the council's entirely proper efforts to protect our children. I suggest a substitute motion that would address these issues in a more concise and rational manner. In fighting to protect the most vulnerable among us, you have shown courage and virtue. You are up against some dark, destructive forces, but I urge you to proceed with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Last call for Dino Ferraro or Roy McCord. The next group, Tori Johnson, Caitlin Riley, Jocelyn Rabbitshire, Cecilia Pham, Cheryl Browning, Amory Hansen, Bethany Webb, Barbara Schneider, Alan Ray, Mary Kyle. First speaker, go ahead. Whichever one of you would like to go first. Uh, I love the country and I love Huntington Beach. That being said, in every endeavor from parenting to international business to medical device engineering, I have never witnessed an occasion when transparent sharing of detailed information about a team project was not essential. In part, transparency starts with the oldest business wisdom Failing to plan is planning to fail. The dramatic disruption of our very successful and popular library surely is guided by a detailed plan. What's the written plan? We haven't seen it. The currently in-process relocation of books surely has written specifications. What are they? Why are the citizens not allowed to see these? The council decided to create a 21-person committee to review acquisitions. That size group surely needs written, detailed, specific guidelines based on professional criteria. What are the new criteria? Who are these people? 
we can't be told. Councilperson Moser has proposed a detailed framework on which council could build transparent public reporting. That memo addresses all the council-created issues that are heretofore highly popular, efficient, and economical library faces. I urge the Huntington Beach City Council to vote to implement the means suggested. For sake of simple good business practice and public transparency, this needs to happen not in two months, but immediately. If you're proud of it, show it. Thank hello, you for hello, coming. Hello, hello. my name is Tori Johnson. I'm a 13-year resident of Huntington Beach, and I love the city, but I'm worried. In 2020, I, I founded Black Lives Matter Huntington Beach. It was a direct response to the national dialogue regarding George Floyd's murder. It was my way to show that my city supports diversity and that my city does believe that black lives do matter. There are many issues I'd like to discuss tonight, but first I want to remind people that less than 30% of eligible Huntington Beach voters voted in the fall of 2022. That was unfortunate. Gracie, Pat, Casey, Tony were all voted in by apathy. They do not have a mandate to create a culture war of divisiveness. Tonight, I want to speak about something that's very personal to me, and that's about the city's policy on human dignity. The group of four amended it in less than a year after their election, written originally in response to the 1994 of a black man and the 1996 attempted murder of a Native American. The Huntington Beach policy on human dignity was a strong statement that rejected hate. Now our, state, our city no longer condemns hate incidents or hate crimes, as if hate for minorities and non-conforming people no longer exist. I've read comments from, uh, from this group before that they don't like they don't like uh, identity politics. Uh, Gracie even says that, uh, she says, there are no more subcategories of any kind, but that's not a reality. Driving while black is a reality. A White Lives Matter march is a worry. Uh, policing library books without a high school diploma is a worry. Anti-Semitism is a worry. There are many worries I could list. Do you feel good about that as a black man? Should I be worried? If I should be worried, then maybe we should all be worried. Let's take Huntington Beach back. Vote yes. Uh, show your love. I mean, vote no on. Uh, vote no. Fuck that. Uh, vote no on, a, on measures A, B, and C. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you. Next speaker, go ahead. Bethany Webb, 40 plus year Huntington Beach resident. I'm going to finish what he meant to say, which was vote no on A, B, and C. I liked what he had to say about our high school dropout taking everybody potties out. I mean, is that really what you do with your day? That's what we have you for? I mean, it's such a blight on Huntington Beach to be represented by an anti-Semite who high school dropout who lost her custody of her children and wants to tell us what we can have our children do. Now, uh, I am HB. I've been here a long time. So then I have Mr. Uh, our crook from Ventura County over there who's talking about the air show as being making us billions of dollars. Oh, one thing about the air show and the flags on B, there's this picture of Gracie on city property standing next to a flag of Australia. That's not on our approved list of, of flags, Gracie. So you've already broken your own rule. Um, 
Mr. Gates leaves every time I speak because he knows I'm going to ask the same thing. We are going to get the numbers behind the air show, and then we're going to recall you for selling us out by $7 million for Huntington Beach residents. Vote no on A, B, and C, and yes, I, our wonderful Natalie's number 24. Next speaker, go ahead. Hi, my name is Cecilia Pham, and I'm here to speak in favor of item 24. This is my first time speaking at a council meeting, but over the last few months, I now realize how imperative it is to voice my concerns against potential tyranny and government overreach. The library issue is one extremely personal to me because as a high schooler, I spend a significant amount of time studying and doing homework there. So I'm distraught by the idea that our city council members are turning this into an opportunity to prove how conservative they truly are. At its core, many of these books centers around sex education and anatomy, two topics that have previously been shamed in social settings. The actual policy itself may not seem harmful, but in the grand scheme of society and its impact, I think it's important to acknowledge the negative impact that this can have on developing children. In this country, only 39 states require teaching sex education, but of these 39 states, only 17 are required to teach medically accurate information. Ultimately, this means that the spread of misinformation can occur incredibly easily. In addition to this, many states who are simply not teaching sex education. Across a three-country survey regarding the topic, only 5% of the respondents believe that their school's programs adequately prepare them for the real world. This type of education is crucial to eliminating the stigma that surrounds individuals, their sexuality, and their body. For decades, libraries have given parents and children an opportunity to learn this content together in a safe and convenient manner. Now this council is attempting to essentially reverse this process and give a disproportionate amount of power to 21 parents. I worry that this policy is the first of many in an attempt to censor and regulate what ideas children are exposed to. In Florida, a recent bill prohibits schools from teaching about the menstrual cycle until they're in sixth grade. This is incredibly concerning, which is why I believe that item 24 is imperative. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Next speaker, go ahead. All right. Great. Um, okay, my name is Caitlin Riley, and I stand before you as not just a resident, but as a teen intern who had the privilege of working at this, in the library during the summer of 2023. During those months, I witnessed the firsthand the profound impact that our library has had in our community, serving as a sanctuary for knowledge and intellectual freedom. Resolution 2023-41 has sparked concerns among many members of our community, myself included. The resolution focusing on the accessibility of library materials has inadvertently led to the removal of certain books, primarily LGBTQ plus books. As a member of this community, I am deeply troubled by the idea of book banning in my city. The library to me and many others is more than just a collection of books. It's a place where individuals of all ages can explore an environment that encourages critical thinking and understanding. However, recent decisions to relocate and restrict access to certain materials directly contradict the principles of intellectual freedom that libraries are built upon. I understand the importance of transparency as highlighted in Council Member Moser's item. Supporting transparency isn't a nod to good governance, it's a nod to our collective right to know what's happening in our community. I believe it's high time our community parent review board decision-making process got a little clearer. Censoring books and restricting access undermines the very essence of what a library stands for, an unbiased platform from the exchange of ideas. Instead of fostering a safe, idea, safe space, such actions create an atmosphere of fear. The library should be a safe space where young minds are encouraged to explore, question, and learn, and yes, where books remain unapologetically uncensored. 
Restricting access to materials based on subjective criteria not only hinders intellectual growth, but also sends a message that we, the people, are not to be trusted to make informed decisions. I urge the City Council to reconsider the implementation of Resolution 2023-41. Lastly, I know I speak for myself and others when I say we will remember this decision when it comes to election time. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, go ahead. Good evening, Mayor Vandermark, City Council members, and hardworking staff. My name is Jocelyn Rabbit-Sire, HB resident since 1999. First, I would like to voice my full support of agenda item 24, Council Member Moser's request for transparency in the implementation of Resolution 2023-41. Our public library system has built renown in California for its exemplary service to the community for decades. If this resolution leads to changes in library policy and operation, we as residents should at least be informed about operational changes to our libraries before they occur. Also, I want to remind all registered voters, if you haven't already filled out your mail-in ballot, to please do so. And when you do, please go to the last page where you will find measures A, B, and C. I know most of you listening have probably already made up your mind on these measures. Hopefully, you decided based on your own research, not just exposure to the yes or no signs and banners you have seen around town. Remember, your vote is your voice in this great democracy of ours, so please be sure to vote. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Cheryl Browning, and I have three items to opine on tonight. Number one, Measure A. It's a perfectly reasonable civic requirement to show ID when voting. It's stupidly called racist by the leftists here and the minions summoned from all over SoCal on their media feeds. Well, I went to my bank last week and I had to show ID. It's my money, they know me, but I had to show it. I had a medical appointment, I had to show ID, etc., etc. Don't you leftists have to do the same or do you get a pass by screaming racism? Oh, but related to this, your cronies ignore the fact that now, today, this city is embroiled in a lawsuit brought upon us by the rash actions of the 2020 City Council, Mr. Kelmick, Ms. Mosier, who canceled a multi-million dollar air show in a climate change <laughs> virtue signaling stunt. If prudence and foresight were leftist values, doing such a thing five days beforehand wouldn't have been done. And you would have honored our capable city and other personnel with the simple task of keeping people out of the water as they were watching in the air. So when your minions are around unhinged about IDs thrusting HP into a lawsuit, you'd best think about how you already have us in one that you caused. The second issue, Measure B and C. They're important because they clarify things. How we fill vacancies in the council seats is way overdue. This wasn't an issue before 2020 because it wasn't abused. Our councils didn't fill vacancies for three and a half years with unknown people. Ms. Mosier, you told the Daily Pilot that not following established Thank you for coming.
uh, Mary Kyle, and I'm here today to express my con there you go. <laughs> uh, confusion and concern over the lack of transparency regarding one, the new library policies regarding um, library material accessibility, and two, the apparent violation of the flag policy on uh, February 19th, 2024. There's one picture. You can flip to the next one. That's a better one. Um, regarding the flag ordinance on February 19th, 2024, an event was held on the city beach featuring two uh, short takeoff and landing aircraft that landed on the beach. City council members, the chief of police, and event organizers then held a press conference. At this conference, the U.S. and Australian flags were flown. See the photo on the, on the display. The display of the Australian flag was in direct violation of the Huntington Beach flag policy. My questions are, one, who decided to display the Australian flag, and two, what penalties were imposed for violating the flag policy? No one is above the law. Um, Regarding the new policy restricting access to children's teen and uh, library materials, um, I support Council Members Mosier's resolution for greater transparency. I don't understand who is deciding which books to remove from the children's reading area, what they're basing their decisions on. My understanding was that a city citizens committee of 21 Huntington Beach residents would be reviewing and deciding which children's books should be removed to the adult section of the library. The committee's members would be appointed by the seven city council members, three per council member. Since then, I have seen books being removed from the children's appar section apparently without any review at all. The actual books being removed include books on potty training, Down syndrome, and other materials that aren't the least bit objectionable. Furthermore, I haven't seen any mention of the Citizens Library Committee being formed or that it exists at all. What on earth is going on at the library? Um, <laughs> I look forward to uh, your vote. Please uh, support that agenda item. Thank you. Next speaker. Thank you, Madam Mayoress. My name is Mr. Amory Hansen. I'm speaking tonight to comment on item eight, the annual report regarding the housing element. This report shows that Huntington Beach has made a reasonable effort to accommodate growth. 555 units have been created in the past year. That also shows the impracticality of having over 13,000 units in Huntington Beach over an eight year cycle. I am greatly appreciative of the City Council and City Attorney's efforts to ensure a more reasonable housing allocation number. I have even traveled to San Diego several times to hear about the state of our lawsuit from the City Attorney. I must say, he is quite an impressive barrister. No more high-density malarkey. Let's continue to fight in the hills of Orange, in the valleys of Los Angeles, and in the bridges of San Francisco. Thank you for listening to my comments on item 8. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good evening, council members. My name is Alan Ray. And as this is We Love Our Libraries Month, I'm speaking tonight about one of the crown jewels of Huntington Beach, our central library. It'll be celebrating its 50th anniversary next year in 2025. And there's been a lot of discussion at city council meetings about uh, including tonight, about what goes on inside the library. But I'm speaking tonight about the outside of the library. In particular, uh, the fountains that have been empty for eight years. The fountains are arch architectural components of the library and need to be repaired and refilled. The building was designed by the internationally known Neutra architecture firm. The original architect, Dion Neutra, spoke to the public at the library in 2015, I was lucky enough to attend that, and indicated fountains were an integral part of the building. 
The building, including the fountains, are, is historic on a number of levels. The fountains were drained in 2016 because of a leak. Uh, since then, the restoration has come up a couple of times in the city budget. Most recently, the fountain restoration was approved by the Planning Com Commission on which I served, but paused by the former City Council on March 15, 2022. The restoration now has now been paused for two years. Although the fountain repair costs are expensive, um, and there are a variety of, of projects in this city, I urge you to put a higher priority on this. The library will only turn 50 once, and that's next year. Uh, I urge you to put the repairs in the next budget so it can be done in the six months that staff has indicated is required for the project. Please fix and fill the fountains. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Brianna, and I'm here to speak in support of Councilmember Mosier's item regarding increased transparency in our library system. This past Sunday, I spent three hours at the library attempting to write a 10-page paper for my debate class. And while the impending sense of doom and stress from this daunting task was definitely of concern, something else I picked up on was the insane amount of tension within the building. Outside of the library was a crowd congregating as a protester scattered a collection of banned books on the ground and read them aloud for all bystanders to hear. On the top floor where I happened to be studying was an assortment of some removed books. Every once in a while, a few people would walk by, point at this collection, and then walk away. Mayor Vandermark may not consider this policy a ban because the books aren't physically being removed from the library. However, the relocation of books to the top shelf of the fourth floor has no other intention than to remain out of the public eye and collect dust. A ban may not have been the intention, but it is more or less the result. I think regardless of what political party you are part of, you should want both parents and children to feel safe and comfortable at the library. The constant politicization of the space has made it a battleground for ideologies, when in reality, people simply want to come to the library to read or talk with their friends. If your intention was to drive people away from this public space, then you are absolutely succeeding. While I disagree with the entire foundation of this policy and believe that it's illogical to give 21 parents, 12 of whom will likely be conservative, jurisdiction over the entire children's library, I do think that transparency will help make the process more seamless. By defining exactly what obscenity is, we can ensure that there are no double standards when deciding what books will be removed. Being open with the public on this issue will also help garner more potential support in favor of it. I hope that the conservative members on this dais can look past party lines for a moment and consider the detrimental implications of not passing this item. With that, I hope all of you vote in favor of Councilmember Mosier's item, and to the residents of Huntington Beach watching this, please also vote no on all the charter amendments in March. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, last call for Barbara Schneider. The next group, Mark Tonkovich, Derek Jenkins, Wendy Rincon, Tim Geddes, Tom McGrath, Cindy Lee, Heather Blake, Sarah Huffman, Jessica Rockwell, Joyce Noalani.
Go ahead, Tim. Ready? Sure. Go ahead. Good evening, Mayor and City Council. Tim Geddes here. I am, a, I am a poll worker, a customer service representative or CSR for the March 5th primary, my second election working in that capacity. This is my name badge identification. One of the most telling points in our training is that CSRs are forbidden by law to demand that voters produce a, a, a ID in order to cast their ballot. You are either registered or you're not. None of this show, show me your papers shakedown is necessary. Under our current system, election integrity is preserved. If Measure A passes, voter integrity will be suspect because the city will have to handle constructing and enforcing the entire system. Will those hired by local officials have greater competence and integrity to guarantee a safe and secure election than well-trained ones from the county? I submit they will not. Will the forest expenditure of potentially millions of dollars be a good deal for the voters and residents of Huntington Beach? I submit it will not. Supporters of Measure A point to the word may in, in imposing uh, voter ID provisions as non-binding. Is this supposed to justify the spending of hundreds of thousands of dollars to have the ability to waste millions, uh, taxpayer millions, whenever the council majority chooses to implement it? I submit that it does not. Do, uh, do a plurality of our citizens think the council majority is competent to produce election uh, integrity on its own? I submit that they do not. A hard no on ABC. Out. Thank you. Next speaker, go ahead. Good evening, elected city officials and my fellow citizens. My name is Derek. I graduated across the street, so did my brothers and my kids. I'm very fortunate to be a homeowner in our beautiful city. You know, I buy my wetsuits from Surf and Sport, not because they're cheaper or they have the best selection, it's because that's what locals do and I try and support the community in any way I can. Not here to talk about me, I'm here to support my mother and others like her. Why? Because someone decided to put her on a purported list of bullies. Disgusting bullies, lunatic, mean girls, hated big mouth blowhards. A list of mostly little old ladies that truly care about their community your community, our community, strong women that aren't afraid of bullies, not afraid to speak their minds and take direct action. Bully? Why? Because she's smarter than you? Because she is more articulate than you? Because she is more accomplished than you? Because she knows how to use a computer better than you? Because she's speaking facts? Are you afraid? Here are some interesting facts. For many years, my mother owned a company directly across the street from here that employed 50 people. Everybody loved working for her. Our family donated huge sums of money to HPHS for improvements. That is the real deal when it comes to supporting your community. Put your money where your mouth is. My mom is a cancer survivor, multiple cancers, and she keeps on keeping on using whatever strength and smarts she has left to make a positive impact in this community. You can agree to disagree, but that's about it. What is the purpose of this list? Is it a target list? Enjoy your Panera sandwiches, gossip all you want, wear whatever hats you want, and feel free to keep my mom's name occupying as much space in your head as you seem to enjoy, 
but keep my mom's name off your silly list, you could learn a thing or two from a real local. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Thank you. My name is Sarah Huffman. I'm going to give you all a little reprieve from all of the conversation we've had tonight. Um, in the roller skating community, I am known as Coach Beater Pan, and um, I manage a roller, local roller derby league named High Tide Derby. And I'm also a contract instructor here in Huntington Beach teaching kids how to roller skate. Um, I've been informed that Huntington Beach is looking for a new sport to invest, it, invest in this city. And so I'd like to throw my support in for the support of uh, roller derby. Yeah. <laughs> we would love to have a track, um, ideally with an awning, because we do play this sport year round. Um, and, uh, you know, rain and, and whatnot can stop us from doing that. Roller derby is not a new sport to Huntington Beach, um, but since the rinks in Huntington Beach closed in 2020, roller derby in, roller, in Orange County has to move elsewhere. So I want to hi highlight three benefits to opening a roller derby rink here. One, community engagement. Roller derby is a unique sport that fosters a sense of community. It can attract both participants and spectators, creating a vibrant social scene in Huntington Beach. Two, tourism and revenue. Hosting roller derby events can draw visitors from nearby areas, boosting tourism and bringing revenue to a local business, such as hotels, restaurants, and shops. And number three, fitness and recreation. Roller derby promotes physical fitness and offers a fun way for people to stay active. Having a track in Huntington Beach could encourage residents to participate in a new recreational activity. I would also love to move my roller skating classes um, for kids from the basketball courts at Edison Community Center to a roller derby track to have a safe space um, enclosed for my young students. Also, no on A, B, and C. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Can you get a blue card? Next speaker. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Heather Blake. I'm here to hopefully persuade you to install a covered roller derby rink in Huntington Beach. I believe that diversity in sports is as important as recognizing the diversity in our people. I started roller derby back in 2011 when my daughter was just two years old. I skated with OC Roller Derby under the name of Hoedown Honey, but you may call me Honey. <laughs> roller derby has everything that is generally missing from the everyday world of sports. It is not only it is, it is the only sport that I am aware of that is dominantly female-driven, while also co-ed and all-inclusive and welcoming to all, young and old. And for those of you who don't know, this is not the roller derby you remember from TV. Modern roller derby is all about fun and has a strong emphasis on safety. This is a sport that I have found through my own experience helps individuals find their voice, strength, and strong friendships, providing both lasting bonds for good times, but also support and community for the tough times. I have a daughter that does not fit in a cookie cutter world of sports. For a moment, I was sad that my daughter would never know the fun of playing in a team sport, but then she remembered her mama playing roller derby. She asked me for my skates, and in a post-pandemic world, we found the Long Beach Junior Roller Derby League was still holding on. 
She has been playing with them for two years now, and I can tell you they are a determined league, practicing twice a week on a basketball court that are barely big enough to hold the kids. Now my daughter's name has, is Squirrel for Derby, and she has gone from a meek, painfully quiet child to socializing and speaking up when she needs to. She also glows when the crowd cheers for her as she pushes her skills to new heights. What do I have here? Uh, well, when I was a child, there was no shortage of places to roller skate. Through the pandemic, everyone could not get enough of it. Roller skates were sold out everywhere. Now the only thing we're missing is a place to go. Thank you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hello, go ahead. Council. My name is Jessica Rockwell, and I'm here today representing OC Roller Derby. I'm speaking to you because we know that the city is gonna have money next year to allocate for a new sport at either Edison or Marina Park, and we want Huntington Beach to build an outdoor flat track roller derby track with an awning, ideally. And this could be used not only for roller derby, but also roller or ball hockey or other recreational skating. Now, of course, it would greatly benefit our league and bring us back home to Huntington since we lost our spot here during COVID, but it's also a fantastic benefit to the community of Huntington Beach for a few reasons. First, providing diversity in Huntington Beach as recreation options. I was born and raised in Huntington Beach. I've lived here my whole life and I went to Edison High, so I know how much there is to do in the city and what a great and fun place it is. We've got tennis and racquetball and even frisbee golf and roller derby would be the perfect addition to the options available in Huntington Beach. And community involvement is a really big thing to us. So not only could our skaters use the track, but we also have a juniors league. We also host free skate lessons that anyone in the community is welcome to come to or drop in. And being at one of the high schools, Marina or Edison, is a really great way for us to attract juniors to the league as well. We also support diversity and inclusion and provide a safe space for women and everybody to be involved and feel empowered and strong. And by advocating for this, it's also guaranteed income for the city because we're a year-round sport. So we would be renting out this track over and over, of course, and that's also why we want that awning because anytime it rains, we have to cancel our practice. We have 40 skaters in our league and then 40 in the juniors league. And of course, when we're not using it, it can be also used by other teams or just for recreation. And us being here is a big benefit to tourism in Huntington Beach as well. So when we have games, and of course there's people coming from away, they're eating at the restaurants and drinking at the bars and staying at the hotels and we're bringing people to watch our games and support the sport and the community. So I hope that you consider this, thank you. Go ahead. Please go ahead. Okay. Good morning, or good evening, guys. Um, um, my scare name is Dirty Lickens. I'm Joyce Nolani. Um, I'm here in support of our team. And first of all, I'd like to let you guys know, um, when we did lose our track, we are now forced to go in other areas. We practice in Garden Grove, and uh, we have games in Irvine. So with that being said, um, we have a game coming up. Uh, March 23rd, and it'll be at the Irvine Rinks. And if anybody's curious on what we do, I would like to invite anybody and everybody to come and watch us. So you have a little bit of an idea of what we have. Um, so I'll start, sorry about this. Um, good evening, members of the City Council. As you consider our next sport to gain um, funds in your parks, I would like you to consider an outdoor cover rink 
that could be used for roller derby, among other sports. Roller derby, particularly OCRD, has positively impacted the community since 2006. OCRD is not just a group of it's, we're just a not just a group of athletes. It's a thriving um, democratic skater-owned and skater-operated flat-track roller derby league, right here in Orange County, based in Huntington Beach. We were based in Huntington Beach until we lost our track in 2020. What makes OCRD special is the sense of community it fosters. Our league is built on the principles of collaborations and support and respect. Members work together tirelessly to create a community that is not only strong and fun, but also welcoming to skaters of all skill levels. In a world where unity is paramount, OCRD serves as a shining example of how a diverse group of individuals can come together for a common purpose. One of the hallmarks of OCRD is its um, commitment to inclusivity. In line with our mission, we welcome all the athletes who find comfort and camaraderie and playing ro women's roller derby. This commitment to diversity is not just a statement, but a living and breathing reality within our league. Thank you. Wendy Rencon, 50-year resident. I've listened to a lot of people speak tonight and they seem to be scared of progress. One thing I'll say is it seems like roller derby is progress. So let's, let's help the ladies. Uh, progress is also honoring Black History Month. Thank you to the LAPD 50 Blue Line for honoring Black History Month. As a fellow officer, I would think that you would also be impressed that they could progress and acknowledge Black History Month. When my dad first ran the force in 1964, that would not have been the case. Progress. Progress in technology is also why we have a successful and safe voting ballot system. Progress is why those that lose elections claim voter fraud. You can't win on your policies, so you focus on voter fraud, which is really just voter suppression. The majority doesn't have a mandate. I've talked about this before. Pat Burns, 13.6%, Strickland, 13.4%, Gracie Vanderbuck, 12.3%, Casey, 122 That's hardly a mandate. But these numbers definitely show that HB does have a voting problem. Not enough people are voting. Even if you did have a mandate, which you don't, I doubt that that would include the absolute division that you have created in HB. All of your political theatrics and power grab. Having speakers shouting into the mic, the mic liberal crazy Democrats to cheers from the crowd proves how broken and divided HB has become under this majority council. An example, someone spoke to it early, the doxing and listing of women on a form, uh, the top 20 Huntington Beach left-wing lunatic mean girls. I'll be honest, my family and I were kind of disappointed I didn't make the list, so I'm going to strive to do better. Um, anyway, support Natalie Moser on uh, Agenda 24 and vote no on A, B, and C. Go ahead, sir. Good evening, my name is Tom McGrath. Uh, at the last meeting, I introduced myself as a candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives, and then I listened to the discussion of the statement of uh, solidarity with Texas and the border security and migration issue. But I didn't hear any discussion of solutions to the migration surge. So I uh, put together a short video. 
presentation discusses migration at the U.S. southern border. In the last meeting, the City Council approved a statement of solidarity with Texas regarding southern border security. However, no solutions to the migration surge were presented. 2023, the Border Patrol had about 2.5 million encounters with migrants at the southern border. Most come from Mexico and South and Central America. Most migrants are economic migrants. This graph is from November 2023, and the y-axis is monthly border patrol encounters with migrants, and the x-axis is non-farm job openings in the United States during the Trump and Biden administrations. There is a strong correlation between migration and job openings. People migrate when there is work. The author notes that the strength or weakness of the U.S. labor market can explain much, and I'd wager most, of the flow of illegal immigrants across the southwest border. The immigration system is overwhelmed. Most migrants cross the border and make an asylum claim. The court system has a huge backlog and migrants are able to work in the U.S. for many years before their court date. Our Congress should pass the border security law to increase funding for enforcement and expedite the asylum claim process. Also, quickly issue a large number of temporary work visas in migrants' home countries to alleviate the border surge of economic migrants. In addition, remittances to home countries from temporary workers grow those economies and reduce incentive for economic migration. Please visit www.thomaspmcgrath.com for more details. Thank you. Hello, Go ahead, everybody. sir. Go okay. ahead, Mark. Uh, good evening. My name is Mark Tonkovich. Uh, Glad to be here tonight. Uh, one thank you for those that passed to support Texas. Uh, I greatly appreciate that. I had people from New York, New Jersey, Wisconsin that I talked to. They were very happy that we're doing that, and they think more states and cities should do so. As for A, B, and C, 70% of the states have voter ID. 70%. Okay, we used to have voter ID in every state I ever went to. And it, everybody can have an ID, it's pretty easy. That's already been brought up. So I think that would be the first step in having voter integrity. If I go back to when I was younger, I really liked it when I voted in a garage and it was a paper ballot and they counted it in one day. That's what France does. If France can do it, the US can do it. We talked earlier, what, 53, 59 days? Let's get it back to one day, make it a national holiday to vote, just like France. So now we also talked about illegal votes. You know, we talked about heritage. Someone said Heritage Foundation, this is all they found. That's one. There was a bunch of other research and go on out there and do that. But is it really how many were caught or is it really how many weren't caught? If we look at our border, uh, fentanyl's coming through like a sieve, okay? Even though we, we captured 77 million tablets last year, 112 citizens died from fentanyl. So the cartel's not stupid. They send some stuff through the 51 point of entries and the main, most of it goes through non-main entries because they can walk on through. The, the wall was opened up, there's no security. Uh, this gentleman's thing about how we can secure it, secure it, Biden can reverse Trump, what he did to Trump. If he went back to what Trump had there, we had a secure border. We don't need Congress to do that. That's a fact. Thank you. All right, last call for Cindy Lee, and this is the last group. Zachary Stevens, Amberlyn Riken, Linda Friedline, 
James Gilbert, Ann Boren, Jen Cohen, Kanan Durham, Tony Bison, Perry Clitheroe, Roger Noor, Rick Brown, Debbie Cook, L. Rogers, and Vic Kirby. First speaker, go ahead. Good evening. Uh, my name is Tony Bisson, resident of Huntington Beach Southeast. Um, I come here today not just as a solo resident, but I represent uh, six people or six homeowners on the corner near Labard Park, uh, across the street from the tennis courts, which um, six residents in Meredith Gardens who are homeowners. Um, what we're asking for, in, um, the tennis courts have been closed for a period of time for some refurbishment. And what we would like, um, as residents who are deeply impacted by the um, noise pollution that comes from the tennis courts, um, from basically as early as first light until 10 p.m. normally when the lights go out. What we would like is for the lights to go out at 9 p.m. instead of 10. It's a simple change. Um, it would greatly improve our quality of lives, allow us to wind down without the potential for very disruptive noise. We're also very concerned about the growth in pickleball. People do come and play. Pickleball is six times, maybe even 10 times louder than tennis, and uh, more rapid, more frequent hits. So, and a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of party atmosphere, a lot of shouting and such. So um, it deeply impacts our homes and um, the, the sound of just the ball against paddle, it's very hard surfaces and it can be heard through, it penetrates walls, it penetrates windows. There's no place in my house where I cannot hear it personally. Um, but we would also like for, since there's already certain activities that are prohibited on Labard tennis courts, we would like pickleball added to that list. So instead of it saying simply no bicycling, no skateboarding, also it should say no pickleball because we have lots of new pickleball facilities just nearby at Edison Park. And um, uh, I personally play the game sometimes, and, um, but I certainly wouldn't play it uh, next to people's homes. And um, my neighbors are very concerned about this matter. We feel like an unheard minority, and um, it's, it's a very serious issue because it really affects the livability of our homes. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for your time. Next speaker. Hello, my name is Zachary Stevens. Um, I just wanted to speak on the ballot measures really quick. And I brought the uh, little packet that they send us just as a little reference for myself. Um, ballot measure A, I do support. Um, I will have to say the only thing that kind of just reaffirms my idea is I'll, I'll state it, the paragraph really quick. It says, the argument that San Francisco allows non-citizens to vote in municipal elections is factually incorrect. Non-citizens are only permitted in school board elections. This misrepresentation reveals the true intent of measure one rooted in fear and divisiveness, not enhancing election security. Um, reason I say this stands out to me is just because of the fact that it says non-citizens are only permitted in school board elections. I don't think they should be permitted in any type of election. So to say that is already kind of a little bit off-putting for me. Um, measure B, the city flag ordinance. I did come up here and say that I support it. However, I do have to backtrack on that and say that I don't support it anymore. Just for the simple fact that if we're gonna say that the LGBTQ flag shouldn't be up and it's a separate organization, I don't think the POW MIA flag should be put up as well. I mean, I do support our armed troops, don't get me wrong, but if they're gonna be a separate organization outside the government, then I don't think 
that it should be allowed. I think it should be treated the same as if we're going to say one way, then it, it shouldn't be the other. Uh, and then ballot measure C, I also didn't support just because of the fact that it said that, and I'll read it right here, section 303, subsection A, it says, regular meetings, city council shall hold regular meetings at least twice each month unless it lacks a quorum or is canceled by the mayor or majority of the city council members. I don't think that the mayor should have that sole individual power. I think it should just be a, a group consensus. Um, so that's why I can't support that. Um, and then I would also like to support Measure 24. Thank you for coming. Oh, okay, appreciate it. Thank you. Go ahead. Good evening, Council. I'm here to speak about the housing element tonight. Um, as I hope most people are aware, California and the nation at large have been dealing with a housing shortage for many years now. Uh, the most recent inflation report shows that this isn't going away. Uh, and in fact, two-thirds of the year's inflation uh, was the result of increases in cost in the housing sector, so it's not going anywhere. In response to the housing shortage a few years ago, California passed the housing element, which asked each city to build some homes to help make housing easier to obtain for the state's residents. This is important because people need places to live. Uh, when there aren't enough places to live, they either, leave the they either leave the state, hit the streets, or pile into slums and, and inadequate housing situations. This is a problem for residents of Huntington Beach, even this room where we're probably 98% homeowners because, um, because workers are people and workers need somewhere to live. It's a problem for our business community because consumers are people and people need somewhere to live. It could be disastrous for our ability to provide city services. Already since 2020, our population has declined by more than 4%. That's going to crush our tax base. That's going to cause us to have to make massive cuts. Uh, in 2021, California asked us to do our part and build a little over 13,000 units of housing by 2029. We have built 983 units. That's embarrassing. We aren't going to make our goal. I see a lot of people talking about local control in this room and acting very defiant and angry, but the truth is, we're going to lose local control to builder's remedy, and that's going to be awful for everybody because it's going to be chaos. So let's do it ourselves, not chaotic way. Thank you. Next speaker, go ahead. Hi, my name is Amber Lindbricken. Uh, I'm here in support of Roller Derby. My skater name is Ambush, and um, I am new to the area, but um, something roller derby, including this area, is it's hard to find a place to do the sport. Um, roller derby, you should consider supporting roller derby by creating a space for it to um, exist and succeed because roller derby is awesome for a number of reasons. Um, roller derby kind of uh, bring, it brings people together. We support um, all kinds of people and including women and other marginalized um, uh, peoples. And um, I have you know, trained um, in the sport of roller derby, and I have seen people learn how to take up space and be more fulfilled individuals, um, and those individuals go out and do awesome things out in our community. Um, so having a place to do that, to encourage that, um, would be awesome. It does bring in tourism. We have um, competitions and 
we um, invite people in to both watch and um, participate. So um, if we have a space to do that, it's just going to be better. That is all. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Hello, my name is James Gilbert, and in the roller derby community, people know me as Loki. And I am here to ask that Huntington Beach bring back roller skating and roller derby to this lovely city. Uh, one of the biggest reasons that I'm a supporter of roller derby, roller derby, both as a coach and as a player, is because it does bring people together. It brings those marginalized individuals through the community out into further out into the community, it shows them that they have a space to belong and to be themselves in. And as my hoodies and my t-shirts show, roller derby is for everybody. It is for every body type. It is for every person. Whether you want to be a spectator, whether you want to be a facilitator, or whether or not you want to be a player. And we highly encourage each and every one of you to come out Check us out, find out what we do, find out who we are, and participate in this wonderful community. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello, my name is Linda Friedkin, or in the Derby community, I'm known as Lynn Danger. Today I'm here to shed light on the rich history of roller derby and its significance in the community, with a particular emphasis on Orange County Roller Derby, or OCRD. Roller Derby traces its roots back to the early 20th century, gaining popularity as a unique and dynamic sport that combined athleticism, strategy, and showmanship. Over the decades, it has evolved into a fast-paced, thrilling competition that captivates audiences and brings communities together. OCRD, as a skater-owned and skater-operated flat-track roller derby league, we used to have a bank track, is a testament to the enduring spirit of this sport. Founded in Orange County in 20, uh, 2006 and based in Huntington Beach until we lost our track in 2020. Our league has become an integral part of our community's history and identity. As we delve into the archives of roller derby history, we find a tradition of breaking barriers. Roller derby has consistently been a pioneer in promoting inclusivity and diversity. OCRD proudly upholds this tradition and welcome skaters of all levels and backgrounds. In conclusion, OCRD is an asset to our community, promoting inclusivity, teamwork, and a healthy lifestyle. I urge you to support and recognize the positive impact of roller derby and consider our sport as you make your budgetary decisions. Let's roll forward together towards a stronger, more vibrant community and bring roller derby back to its home in HB. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, go ahead. Hi, I'm Vic. I am the captain of the Long Beach Junior Roller Derby team, uh, also known as Burnt Peanut or Drop Dead. Um, <laughs> I have watched all of my teammates grow as people and on the track, and it has been, and I loved watching everybody grow so much, and I think it'd be great to bring to Huntington Beach as um, watching all these kids at my school, because I do go to school just across the street, Watching all these kids at my school that I see would fit perfectly in with the team and would be able to grow as a person 
in a community that is so accepting and loving of everybody, uh, no matter your sexuality, gender, like body type. We are, it's a very accepting community. I'd love to watch it grow more into Huntington Beach. I started Derby in Huntington Beach, and um, then the team kind of died out from Derby dying out, and I want it to come back into this area. And I see it coming back within the, um, within the skate shop downtown and um, them renting out skates and them wanting to start like having a skate area down in the parking lot by Jack's. And I just think it would like be great to have Derby back. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Elle Rogers, and since we're doing derby names tonight, my name is Elle, Elemental Chaos Pixie on the track. Uh, first, I would like to thank our city council and the citizens of Huntington Beach for showing up for our community. I'm here to show support with Orange County Roller Derby. Uh, with OCRD, we are here to request consideration on an outdoor covered rink that could be used for roller derby and many other sports. I'm not a member of Orange County Roller Derby, but I am part of the Roller Derby community. I play for two other teams, one in Laguna Hills and one in Long Beach. Our community is welcoming and inclusive, considerate and generous. We promote kindness, hard work and encouragement. My team currently practices on an outdoor track, and this means uh, when weather is weathering, we, we don't have practice. As a non-member, I would greatly benefit from this opportunity because I know that I would have somewhere to go on rainy days because OCRD is they're that team. The benefits impact beyond me and what, is, what I would stand to gain as an individual. But people from all sports related areas, families with small children, uh, families with older children, um, anyone with an interest in roller hockey or any other sports on wheels would benefit greatly from this addition, especially during rainy days when it's needed almost the most. I know the impact to be true from personal experiences. I've shared positive and friendly exchanges with the like as a community, um, respectfully while sharing a space that unites us all, a space that allows us to expel energy, maintain mental and physical health, and facilitate the ability to truly enjoy life. Many teammates are mothers, and many teammates are also children of those mothers. Roller Derby is for families, built by skaters for everyone. This would be a positive addition for the community as a whole in more ways than one. Thank you for your consideration. Thank you. Go ahead. Good evening, Mayor Vandermark and City Council members. I want to first and foremost support A, B, and C. And that's a yes on A, B, and C. And I want to focus specifically on voter ID. I think we're being crushed at the border. We don't know who's coming across the border at this particular time. We have San Francisco's allowing voting, uh, illegal votes. We also have Santa Ana's proposing to do such things. But also, we're going to be in a presidential election year, and Donald Trump's going to be our, our presidential candidate on the Republican side. And why that's as important is because you're going to have turmoil this year. I guarantee you there's going to be turmoil, just like in 2020. For an example, watch this. I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country, and maybe there will be. There needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. you got to be ready to throw a punch. Well, you have to be ready to throw a punch. Donald Trump, I think you need to go back and, and punch him in the face. That I thought he should have punched him in the face. I feel like punching him. I'd like to take him behind the gym if I were in high school. If you were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. No, I, I will go and take Trump out tonight. Take him out now. Okay. When was the last time... 
an actor assassinated a president. They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. Please. Get up in the face of some Congress people. People will do what they do. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. We're going to go in there, we're going to... This is just a warning to you Trumpers. Be careful. Walk lightly. And for those of you who are soldiers, Voter ID more if now than ever before. If you had to be stuck in an elevator with either President Trump, Mike Pence, or Jeff Sessions, who would it be? Just Thank you. <laughs> Next speaker. Go ahead. Okay, guys, guys, that's enough. Please go ahead. Uh, good evening, my name is Jennifer Cohen and I'm here tonight as one of the co-founders of the Feminist Uprising and also as a concerned parent and you know, resident of this area. I used to live in HB, now I live in Westminster. Anyways, the point is, um, I'm here for just a few things. Um, first, just wanted to say I am loving seeing all the human rights campaign stickers everywhere, so like, thank you for the support. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Like the LGBTQ plus community really needs that right now. So fabulous. Thanks. Um, really heartwarming, guys. Um, so second, I just want to state my support from item number 24. And um, thank you, Council Member Moser, for um, submitting that because we need transparency. Um, what this council has already done, and I'm speaking specifically to the, I can't, can't say it with a straight face, but Fab Four. So. Um, Specifically, like this should never have happened in the first place. We have librarians that are amazing and they were doing a very good job. And it's very concerning that this has occurred in the first place. Um, but bottom line, restricting access to certain materials is effectively silencing the voices of already marginalized communities. And our kids deserve better than that. They deserve to be able to access materials to better understand themselves and better understand their communities. Without that access, especially kids that don't live in supportive households, don't understand who they are and don't have access to that, and then they will get misinformation or get hate, and that's harmful. Our kids deserve better than this, and there needs to be transparency about how you manage these books, since you believe you are better than the librarians. That is all. Thank you. I'm here tonight to speak on behalf of Pride at the Pier about the real cost of hateful rhetoric like the kind we see being spewed from this dais. On February 7th, transgender 16-year-old Nex Benedict was beaten to death by their peers in their Oklahoma school in a district that has been targeted by the extremist anti-LGBTQ leadership in their community. Our org learned about this crime yesterday when we got a message from a local parent of a trans child. Quote, I don't want to get a call one day that my kid has been beaten to death at school, unquote. We've gotten many messages from community members expressing their despair, their anger, their grief, their fear, their search for justice. We have felt these emotions ourselves. Hate crimes in HB are, are rising at a rapid rate. Vandalism, assault, slurs, threats of violence, violent rhetoric, it's become an ever-increasing reality for the queer community here. 
The demand for transparency in the book banning process that Moser has made with agenda item number 24 is the bare minimum to fight this terrifying reality. We will be watching this, the council as they choose to prioritize hateful propaganda over the safety and dignity of all citizens in this city. Thank you, Gracie. Thank you. Next speaker. Roger Knorr. I've been a resident here for over 27 years, and I want to say a whole lot of stuff, but there's only two minutes, and we are allowed three minutes. Only two minutes for emergency, Gracie, Mayor Gracie. Not, not always, and it's three minutes, and it's, it's supposed to be technically three minutes for each one of the agenda items that you're supposed to speak with. But you only give us, you guys are only giving us two minutes for everything, and that isn't fair. I mean, it, I know it takes a long time, but hey, a republic is a republic. Okay, now, second, now, here we go. For the Via Park, because of the, the fallen officer that another officer killed, you gotta stop this. You gotta stop it right now, and don't call it a Via Park yet. Find out what happened, because I mean, if you wanna be a hero, all you gotta do is go through two interviews for the police, and then you're a hero if you do anything stupid. I mean, and if you kill another cop, yeah, you're okay with that? I mean, you're okay with that? I mean, the cop that killed Via, the one that was flying the helicopter, crashes, takes his, takes his air tank, puts it on himself, un unbuckles the seatbelt, and leaves, and leaves Via there unconscious. And nothing happens to him. Do an investigation. This is totally, totally outrageous. They try to steal my car so they can give it to the, to the fallen officer's daughter. I mean, my son's car. I mean, this is, there's so much problems with this. Do not vote for this stuff until you find out. And Eric, you, you told us that we, you were going to run for, with full transparency as the chief of police. You won't even tell us who the pilot is. I asked you about it, and you said it was an accident. But if I was flying, and there was a police officer next to me, and then I killed him, there definitely would be an investigation, at least a drug test. But you guys hide the name. Give us the name, Eric. Give us the name of the pilot that killed your, your police officer. This is not fair. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. For the record, my name is Debbie Cook, and I know that we have all very short memories, but for the public, um, almost two decades ago, I served on the city council. Um, and I didn't need readers at that time. <laughs> so as unpopular as this may be, I'm not a fan of whooping and hollering at council, at council meetings, I, and I bet you aren't either. <laughs> I hope you guys don't take it up. Um, I understand the sentiment. Public comments can be very entertaining, kind of like watching a train wreck, uh, but they never result in changing minds. 35 years ago, I learned leadership the hard way by creating a compelling vision and making it happen. And you do that through collaboration, building relationships, and establishing trust. And that's why, the, that's why neighborhoods all throughout Huntington Beach People with diverse political beliefs can get along because we, we run the gamut, but we don't fight <laughs> amongst our neighbors. Somehow we figured it out. So um, 35 years ago, a majority of the council was, was commercializing the parks and beaches, but after a year of collaborating, educating, building relationships, and trust, Nearly 75% of the voters agreed with me and the group that I led um, that gave the voters a right to vote on the parks and beaches because the city wanted to build a parking structure on the beach. They wanted to build 100,000 square feet of commercial 
retail on the beach, and then they scaled it down to 56,000 on the beach. They wanted to put a golf course in Central Park. They wanted to sell parkland. All of those things could have happened, but we worked really hard to create that compelling vision and make it happen. The most disappointing part of ABC is that, I only have six seconds, is that there was no compelling vision and I just don't see any reason to support it. But you win elections. Thank you. Guess what? That concludes public comments. Thank you. Okay, now moving on to council committee appointments announcements. Council members, do you have any council committee appointment announcements to make? AB123 reporting, does anyone have anything to report? Openness and negotiations and disclosures, does anyone have anything to disclose? City clerk's report, please proceed with your presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor and City Council. I'm here tonight to just go over very quickly um, the process for the fireworks stand um, application and lottery process for 2024. The period to submit applications is March 1st through the last business day of March, which is March 29. The maximum number of permits that may be issued during one calendar year shall be 15. I know tonight you guys have an um, agenda item on the um, uh, that we'll talk about adding a, a 16th booth, but that won't affect this process. That will be something separate. So um, we divide our 15 booths into three categories, civic organizations, high schools, and youth sports. Our civic organizations are operate within the city whose sole purpose is for civic betterment or charitable or religious purposes to and for the citizens of Huntington Beach and excludes high school extracurricular activities or youth or adult sports groups. Approved applications will be entered into a lottery held at the April 16th City Council meeting. For our high schools, we have four public high schools and then we um, lottery off the uh, fifth booth to a private high school. High schools operate within the city that agree to use the proceeds for the benefit of valid student extracurricular activities. Sports shall be allowed to submit, sports or activities groups shall be allowed to submit one application. Each public high school may be awarded one permit. Upon application receipt and approval, each high school shall hold a lottery among its own student clubs and organizations and can dedicate its stand to not more than two groups. So they actually do their own work to find out who will be awarded that booth. Um, we also have one remaining uh, booth in the high school category, and this is um, set aside for our private high schools. If no private high schools apply, then the um, four public high schools have a chance to enter the lottery drawing for the fifth high school permit. Our youth sports organizations operate within the city whose main purpose is to benefit a valued, valid youth sports activity and excludes individual club or travel sports teams or high school extracurricular activity or sports groups. These um, entrants, too, will be um, par participating in the lottery on April 16th. All right, so the application process itself, prior to March 1, applicants successful in the 2023 application process will be notified by email of the 24 process and a public announcement 
regarding the application process will be posted to local social media sites. At the conclusion of the lottery drawing held on April 16th, representatives from the fire department will contact successful applicants to explain what happens next and to distribute temporary fireworks stand sales applications. For more information on these online, we have uh, visit these online resources on our uh, city clerk page. We have a tab that's um, devoted to fireworks, and that's where you can find um, applications on there, the Fireworks 24 information page, the resolutions and ordinances related to fireworks in Huntington Beach. And that concludes my report. Thank you. Moving on to the city manager's report. Please proceed with your report. Yeah, Assistant City Manager Travis Hopkins has a few items to go over. Yes, uh, uh, Mayor and City Council, there's two items on the agenda that we are, um, are requesting to be pulled tonight um, for a future meeting discussion, and that's item number 10. The Westminster School District um, um, Clegg Stacy Park Agreement, and item number 13, which is the professional services contract for the annual Independence Day celebration. And if, if that's acceptable, then I'll move on to the a presentation. Um, so tonight we have Caltrans here to um, give an update on a project that they're doing on Pacific Coast Highway in Huntington Beach here. And we have Caltrans project manager, um, Mark Talavera here, as well as other Caltrans representatives, um, our transportation engineer, um, Bob Stahowski, and our public works director, um, Chow Vu, if we have any questions. So, um, Mark, please. Thank you very much. Madam Mayor and Council members, good evening. Uh, before I go with the presentation, I'd like to briefly introduce uh, uh, Caltrans team members here with me. Uh, the Office Chief of Project Management, Bassem Bersum. Yeah, this is Bassem. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, really thank you for the patient uh, on the three-hour uh, open questions and answer, really appreciate that. And I, I wanted to thank also the, the police officer, your Huntington Beach uh, police officer. And uh, uh, we have a great project. Uh, I'm, again, uh, this is Basim Bersum. I'm the office chief of uh, project management in Caltrans. And uh, with us, uh, we do have uh, our public information officer. Uh, if you want to go ahead and introduce Christine and uh, Shelley, I guess, too, as well. Uh, maybe if they can wave their hand. Uh, they're your contact. So uh, as we go through the presentation, any questions that you can come up with, even after the presentation, feel free to reach out to them too, as well. They know how to reach out to us. So with that, uh, go ahead, Mark. You can uh, jump right to the presentation. I don't know for the sake of time. All right, thanks. Thank you. All right. Th thank you, Basim. Um, proceeding with the presentation, if I can direct everybody's attention to the uh, uh, projector screen. Uh, this project uh, is a payment rehab uh, project with various intersection improvements uh, within the uh, city of uh, Huntington Beach. This project is actually covering three cities, Seal Beach, Huntington Beach, and also Newport. Now, the bulleted points uh, outlines the uh, specific features of the project within the city of Huntington Beach. It covers 18 locations of ramp modification for ADA compliance. The second bullet uh, is the implementation of ladder type crosswalk. It's ladder because it resembles uh, the ranks of a ladder for uh, high visibility to improve the visibility at the intersections. Uh, 
And within Sunset Beach, uh, specifically, these uh, ladder stripe uh, improvements will be implemented at Anderson, 19th Street, Admiralty, Broadway, Coral Cay, and these are the intersections with PCH. Now, in the downtown uh, area of Huntington Beach, uh, these will be implemented at 17th Street, 19th, Main, and 1st Street. Next on the, uh, the bullets uh, highlighting is the um, traffic signal uh, upgrades to bring it to current standards. And last but not least, we'll be uh, rehabbing the uh, pavement uh, between Warner and Seal Beach all the way to the county line. This will take about uh, a little over two inches of the existing pavement, and then we'll putting it back. And it will be using rubberized uh, asphalt concrete, so it will have a quieter ride. Moving on to the next slide, the benefits of this project are to enhance the safety, the rideability, and the operational efficiency of the infrastructure within the project limits. Next slide shows the uh, overall snapshot of the project location. Again, it starts on the north end in Seal Beach, terminating uh, on the uh, south end uh, along uh, Crystal Cove Park in the city of Newport Beach. Moving on to the next slide, schedule-wise. The first working day began on November 6th last year, and it's expected to be completed by the end of 2025. Now, the typical work hours will be between 9 a.m. Uh, all the way to uh, 3.30 p.m. And there's, there will be no work uh, during the weekends, special events, uh, or the summer months due to a moratorium from Memorial to Labor Day weekend. Moving on to the next slide, there will be definitely traffic impacts. Uh, the pavement and the electrical work may necessitate closing one lane, but definitely there will be uh, at least one lane providing access through PCH. Now, the sidewalks may be closed, and um, but there will be signs that will be posted directing pedestrian uh, traffic appropriately, and businesses and driveways are expected to, are, are expected to remain open during construction. And uh, please be asked the public to exercise safety, uh, the pedestrians and also the bicyclists who will be traversing this area during construction. And for public information, weekly alerts will be sent uh, to the cities via email, and there will be uh, postings on uh, social media platforms including Facebook, Threads, and Instagram. And we have a public information officer assigned to this project. Again, uh, she was introduced earlier, Sheila Fortenberry. Thank you, Sheila. And uh, I believe that concludes our brief presentation. So if the council has any questions at this time uh, that we may be able to address. Thank you. Thank you. Does anybody have any questions? Councilmember Kalnick. Thank you. Uh, I have a lot of questions, actually. Um, first, I would have loved to have had this PowerPoint before to 
kind of cross-reference anything else. I didn't really have any idea what this presentation was going to be about, so thank you for uh, overlaying. Um, there's another project that we received notice of uh, activation for on Pacific Coast Highway that starts in 2025-26. This is not that project, right? No, no it is not. This, this one is currently in construction. Okay. Um, so this is basically ahead. just a pavement rehab project that we're going to finish and then tear it up again and for the next project? Yeah, I can help answer that, if I may. Uh, so the, the plan is, uh, um, you know, this project is funded from what is called Senate Bill 1, which is a fix-it-first approach. And the fix-it-first approach, uh, the goal of it is really uh, whatever damage, in this case the pavement or like curb ramp that's not meeting uh, standard, we fix that. Now, uh, we do recognize there is other needs, which is where the other project you're referencing is, that's coming in. Uh, that we are funding it from a different pot, that's the reason. But the footprint of that project is not really exactly in conflict with this project. Why? Uh, because when you look at where, where, where this element are being constructed is really on the outside. You're, you're, you're taking care of the mainstream of the, all the lanes on this project. The next project is working on the outside or some spot location in the median too as well. So really not a throwaway, not building something. We would never do that as Caltrans. We wanna come one time and really to disturb your residents, your businesses, your, uh, your users from ADA, like uh, all kind, one time. So that was really the intent in mind. So hopefully that- okay, that's, that's very helpful. Um, Pacific Coast Highway through Bolsa Chica is underwater quite a bit. Um, as you progress through this, is there any plan to potentially address some of those concerns? Another excellent question I may uh, jump. I love uh, the great question uh, you are bringing in. Uh, we do recognize this, uh, not just in Bolsa Chica, the entire state of California. I'm gonna speak on, on behalf of the entire Caltrans. There is a report called the Vulnerability Assessment Report. That Vulnerability Assessment Report had evaluated every place in the state of California, that, uh, including the coastal city that had uh, potential vulnerable uh, community that could be inundated with water or could be fire uh, elements. So anyway, fast forward, this report was done a few years ago. Now there is a brand new program that was established with some seed money uh, from the state, about 25% funded from it because the need is far exceed the capacity of the funding and actually working on elements that uh, justify uh, some improvement, uh, one of which would be those sea level rise elements that's related to the Bolsa Chica is one of them. So we are working on a plan uh, that uh, as we speak, identifying these and targeting these color of money. And we are very talented, any color of money, we actually lobby. I'm one of the people that lobby exactly for that need uh, because it's not just in your area even across the state uh, completely. And uh, I'm pleased to report that at least that report is there and the program has been established. This is a milestone for the state of California. And I think it took uh, lobbyists and took people that ask questions from across the state, across the city, to make this happen. So I wanna really appreciate, uh, I'm glad you're really hitting this on the, na the head, this nail on the head, really appreciate uh, that kind of question too as well. Thank so you. the short answer, yes. There's okay. something coming in the work uh, that we're putting together but not, But not part of this project. Not part not of this project, um, yes. OCTA about 10 years ago released a PC, uh, PCH study that was 
contemplating right-hand turn pockets, additional eliminating certain things to make Pacific Coast Highway more complete streets oriented. Are any of uh, complete streets or any of that program that OCTA studied being integrated into this, or are we just getting exactly what we currently have, but just with new asphalt? Uh, and again, uh, the program is focusing on the fix it first, sure. right? So fix it first, we're fixing what we have, because that's the money that's been given, allocated for that program. That doesn't mean like the vision that we have for the corridor is not intact. So we would do work with partners that bring in other color money like OCTA, right? OCTA is a great partner with Caltrans and Orange County specifically. Uh, we, we do, they do have their measure program that we try to tap in and we do encourage the city to tap into it, like whether it's signal synchronization, bike program upgrades, the same thing. We do have the same plan, but we do also have uh, some grant opportunity as well that uh, we do work with the city to encourage how we can apply for these grants to kind of help maybe advance the improvement. We have the improvement, we, like a wish list, but you know, when, when your hand is tight financially, you really work with every door that you knock, like this case, uh, the OCTE that you bring in up. Okay, I mean, it was, there was just the Senate bill that basically required Caltrans to implement complete streets on rehab projects, and when we, uh, Beach Boulevard was just repaved, um, and really nothing, we just got lanes back. Um, I'm just wondering how, that's not being implemented as part yeah, of like this project. All right, I can talk even a little bit more since you mentioned uh, the complete street. So there is a plan, a different plan uh, that's for complete street and that's usually part of a 10 year plan that uh, the state has that appropriate money for this. This plan had just been completed about uh, maybe a couple of years ago, right? And then it made it to the 10 year plan for the states which mean more project that's focused more on the complete street. We did have some augmentation also on some project that are able to insert those in there. But as you know, beach communities like this particular project, anytime you're adding additional capacity for bike, for example, uh, it's, it had its own impact. This impact could be on, on uh, removal of the parking, uh, maybe business impact, which is something we, we look very careful on. So other mitigation is we rely more on the technology, right? So bike detections, uh, things that uh, um, maybe like, uh, uh, like diverting another path, right? Uh, that could be for biker, a, a safer path if there is one, right? So all of this has been part of that new study, right? It's called CAT plan. Um, uh, this is a, a plan that's, uh, I mean, we have a lot of acronyms, but this is one of the plans that uh, where all the partners, all the city constituent as well as the communities, uh, met with Caltrans uh, constituent and say, okay, here's what I'd like to see in my community with the, with the footprints that I have, including like your city as well. So again, it starts with a plan and then the implementation comes as when, when those financial comes. So the financial start coming after that plan is done, which is a couple of, but again, as part of this project, you know, again, we're fixing first. That, that's the fixing first approach. We wanna take care of the pavement as well as the curb ramp that's currently not and uh, restoring like high visibility. Like we wanted people to see that there is a biker there. There is a, a pedestrian crossing there to enhance their safety. As they're crossing, people are seeing them. Vehicular traffic or others are seeing them too as well. Okay. Well, thank you. We don't get to see Caltrans here too often, so thank you very much for your time. We're glad to be here anytime. Councilmember Moser. Thank you very much for being here tonight. 
And thank you, Councilmember Kelmont, for your questions. Um, I um, wanted to say thank you. I know I uh, frequently see the residents of Sunset Beach who are very concerned about safety in their community where there's a lot of traffic in that space um, down by the beach and on PCH. So the latter crosswalks are, I know, will be well received. Um, that being said, whenever I am down in Sunset Beach, the one thing that I hear about is about their concern about the speed limits on PCH right there. Um, Caltrans controls the speed limits. Yes, yes. Are those being considered in that particular area to be reduced? Yeah, so the, the way the law is written, uh, you know, I'm talking, uh, again, I'm in charge of project management, but, but as you can tell, I've been all over the places in Caltrans. So from the traffic upside, if I were to talk about the division of operations, what they do is to establish a speed limit, they have to look at something called the 85th percentile, which means 85% of uh, people driving that corridor drive at that speed. If you put it below that, legally, the CHP, the, our CHP or the local PD cannot enforce it legally. It will be challenged in court and cannot, and that's not by the manual MUTCD, Manual Uniform Transport, uh, Traffic Control Device uh, manual. That's what mandated by the federal too as well. So because of that, we do consider things that uh, um, if I have a concern of some safety, things that we work with the city to create like ball bouts, things that uh, geometrically reduce the speed of uh, traveling public. So in a sense, when you're running the 85th percentile, you're already getting that, that lower speed geometric, right? Whether that's including parking, uh, allowing certain geometry. You do work with our design team as well as our traffic ops team, and uh, we come up with these scenarios that, uh, okay, if you're comfortable this, this area to be neck down, uh, that could be an enhanced safety for your resident too as well. So uh, again, as we hear this, we take it seriously and look at what other options do we have. But again, we're open uh, for more dialogue, of course, on these sections too as well. So I would just say that I would um, love to have more dialogue about that section of PCH with our staff and um, with Caltrans for on behalf of the Sunset Beach residents. Thank you. Absolutely. Excellent question. Mayor Pro Tem Burns. Yeah, real quick. Are you, when you're coming through Huntington Beach, are you guys going to try to work around the schedule of some of our bigger events? Absolutely. We work with your city uh, staff and city st team. You know, this window of time that uh, Mark, uh, our PM, has been uh, presenting on is really worked with whatever best time that's worked okay. around your, uh, because again, the, the, the least thing we wanted to do is to impact any event that's happening with the UC. And you're rich on events too as well, so, which is a good thing. Thank you. All right, excellent okay. question. Anybody else have questions? Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Council. Next, we're moving on to the consent calendar. Would anyone like to pull any items? Move the consent calendar. Eight. Oh. Eight. Fourteen. Move the consent calendar minus eight and fourteen. And, and, and ten oh, and, and thirteen. The well, ten and thirteen have been pulled. Been pulled for it's already been pulled. But I think we have to take no action on yeah. them. Yeah. Thank you for the record. Okay, for the record. All right. Ten, thirteen, and eighteen. 18 Eight was 18. by supplemental. <clears throat> okay, so we have Strickland and Burns. All right, so this will be to approve items 6, 7, 9, 11, 12, 15, 16, 17, 19 through 23. We'll go ahead and vote. Councilmember Mosier. Aye. 
Bolton? Aye. Burns? Aye. Vandermark? Yes. Strickland? Aye. Kalmick? Aye. The items pass 601 with Mr. McKeon absent. Okay, thank you. Um, Council Member Moser? Thank you. Um, so the one that I'm bringing up is on the um, housing element uh, progress report. Um, you know, it's my understanding that we haven't made any progress with regards to the housing element itself. Um, uh, but I would like to take the opportunity, since we don't get a lot of opportunity to talk about housing, to go over the um, housing element implementation program implementation status uh, on table D. Um, just a couple of areas there um, that I just wanted to pull out. Um, let's see. One, I just thought it was important to note for um, there's often a lot of um, talk about Section 8 and rental assistance that's often um, perceived negatively, but I just thought it was important that we look at the numbers. So in 2023, a total of 651 Huntington Beach households received tenant-based housing choice vouchers administered through OCHA. Sorry, it's spelled wrong there. <laughs> um, 80 of those were Veterans Affairs. Supportive housing vouchers, 23 were family unification, 137 for the disabled, 355 for seniors, and 56 for formerly homeless households. Um, and I think it's a making Section 8 a key way in which the city addresses the needs of extremely low-income households. I just think it's important to acknowledge that we have a lot of low-income households, and it, there is a resource there. Um, to try to assist and that that is working in that way, but there's a lot of opportunity to prevent homelessness through that me method as well as others in our community. In addition, um, the rental assistance TBRA program um, is discussed there, uh, specifically the mobile home TBRA program, which we implemented um, in April of 2023, has provided space rent assistance to 23 senior households for the year 22-23, and a total of 52 senior households in 23, uh, 29 households in 23-24. Um, so the TBRA program assists of 56 households, including the aforementioned 23 mobile home senior households. Um, really, I wanted to get, um, maybe in the near future, because I, I know we weren't bringing this up tonight specifically, but um, some more information on what's kind of coming up for the mobile home TBRA program, because I think it was only discussed really for two years when we brought it up originally. Um, so I don't know if you can speak to that at, at all. Maybe a future update. A future update on mobile home TBRA? Uh-huh. Okay, thank you. Um, and then the, other, the next one was mobile home park preservation. And within the last column on this, it says the mobile home advisory board continued to meet quarterly and is made up of mobile home um, MHP owners, residents, and at-large citizens. Um, I know that that was disbanded uh, in the last year, and I don't know if um, we need to acknowledge that within that report. We could. We could. Because we didn't um, meet quarterly for the whole year. That's the only reason I bring it up. We could. This, co this program is from the prior housing element cycle, which when it did occur, but we could make a note that it didn't occur in 2023. But that was for 2023 that we're discussing here, correct? Yeah, we could make okay. that note. Okay, that'd be great. Thank you. Um, and then let's see. I'll skip that one. Then also for homeless assistance, um, and this is also just kind of quibbling over the details of things. Um, it says, first, the police department's homeless task force supplemented by BLOC, Huntington Beach case managers, conduct street outreach to people experiencing homelessness. 
And then later it says the city's outreach efforts have grown to include a homeless task force consisting of up to four case managers and four homeless liaison officers, and then also mentions the homeless services manager. My concern really is it kind of looks like it's under the police department, the entirety of our homeless services, um, and it's, it's not, as far as, far as I know, um, as far as the um, caseworkers. So I just wanted things to be like that to be clear because it appears differently. So you want us to add a note that it's under the city manager's office and police department? I just don't want it to say that the police department's homeless task force, it looks like the entire thing is underneath that. Just be clear about what it is. So yes, it would be under the city manager's office for the other part. Okay. I just know sometimes with regards to getting funding um, and even access to different, um, different um, homeless databases, if they think everything is under the police department, I know that that's not necessarily the audience here, um, but that there's sometimes a challenge with that and there's value in having that separation. So I just wanna make sure it's clear in all of our documentation. And that's it, thank you. Okay. So do uh, move item eight. A second. All right, and you've got the amendments, Jen. All right, um, we'll go ahead and vote. Councilmember Mosier? Aye. Bolton? Aye. Burns? Aye. Vandermark? Yes. Strickland? Aye. Kalmick? Aye. Passes 601, Mr. McKeon, absent. Okay. Um, Councilmember Kalmick? Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, I pulled this one, um, A, because I felt that um, if we're creating uh, effectively a new revenue stream, I, this should have been an uh, administrative item. I don't think this should have been on the consent calendar. Um, but uh, it was also kind of unclear until I talked to staff, and I appreciate staff um, taking the time to kind of articulate what this is about, because um, it said it's necessary to revise this, but there was really no explanation of what the necessity was. Um, it would appear, and staff, please correct me if I, I'm wrong, is that the 4th of July ceremony that is um, amazing, the run, um, the fireworks show, uh, is costing more money. Uh, and this seems to be a good, uh, easy source of revenue for uh, the 4th of July uh, event and to help fund that. Um, uh, but um, it, it, there was a couple of definitions that were missing from the re resolution that I maybe we need to uh, send them back to staff and do a little bit more work on and bring it back the next meeting. Um, there's no definition of foundation um, anywhere. It's just a, kind of an assumed thing. Um, and I don't know if there's a legal definition um, that I, it's not referenced, but I don't know if staff or the city attorney's office can kind of, if we can set that definition or if we need to send this back and define that in the resolution as to what we're considering a, a foundation because in the actual resolution itself, or excuse me, in the municipal code ordinance in um, 5.90, um, there's a discussion of it's a 501c3 or not. Um, and so I'd like to, if staff has any kind of edge case on that. Yeah, I might, um, I'll take a shot at that. So. Um, so I believe it's intended to be a nonprofit or a foundation, and then there's a couple um, items that would also include with that, is with a primary focus to directly benefit city um, departments, division, or program or functions, um, as well as has an MOU with the city to do those, the fundraising for specific projects that the city runs. Um, with that all being said, um, definitely that's up to the council of how they would like to um, define that here. 
Again, like I, there's, I can just see edge cases of, it's just, it seems unclear as to what a foundation is, but if there's not a legal definition in our code, um, maybe we define one just to clean it up a little bit, saying if I, because again, the ordinance says it can be uh, 501c3 mm -hmm. or not. And so I, I just kind of want to avoid in the future an organization that has an MOU with the city, because um, technically the chamber could be this, or is there a 501c6, um, but they perform a duty potentially for like economic development or visit HB could be a, a benefactor of this. And I don't know if that's really the goal so, uh, of this. So I, I think when staff um, thinking about it, yeah. th those weren't the goals. It was more, sure. of more of nonprofits with their primary focus of, of financially supporting city um, programs and functions, where some of the ones you mentioned are, are great um, uh, great organizations, um, but they um, have a different um, focus. Their, their primary focus isn't specifically city programs. I, I agree. Um, I just don't see that in the resolution. So we, we, I don't. We, we can bring it back. Yeah, I don't. I, it's, it's, I, I agree. Because the first question I had when I read it was well, what is the definition of a foundation? And I appreciate the staff's response, but it's simple, it seems like it's simple enough to just put it in the resolution so there's no, um, there's no question, so. So I'll make a motion to table this until the next meeting and have staff come back with some more. Second. Second. Clean that up a little bit and put some guardrails on. Okay. Thank you. Okay, we'll take a vote. Councilmember Mosier. Aye. Bolton. Aye. Burns. Aye. Vandermark. Yes. Strickland. Aye. Kalmick. Aye. Okay, the item passes to table the item of Councilmember Keehan absent. Okay, moving on to council member items. Council member Moser, please introduce your report. Well, thank you. Um, okay, so I wanted to first acknowledge this is We Love Our Libraries Month, and I think that it's important um, to note that, um, you know, or actually I will say I was disappointed to see that um, staff was asked to start moving library materials this month, We Love Our Libraries Month. Um, First, before I move through the item, and I really plan to read it versus kind of going off the cuff because I think it's important that each part of it get mentioned. Um, but I wanted to first just unequivocally say that I disagree with the initial resolution 2023-41, which was passed on October 17th, 2023. Um, I don't think that you know, when I went to the library on Wednesday and um, actually saw the things that we discuss on this, this dais start to take effect, it was very upsetting to me, um, but it was really a reality um, of the things that go on here with regards to policy have a direct impact to our residents um, throughout the city and now with this particular item, um, with, within our library and within um, our youth as well. Wednesday, books were moved. The Teen Central signage came down. Um, I discovered that by seeing it on social media with a picture of it being removed. I did not know that was going to happen. It was, it was alarming and, and disappointing, and I drove right over to see what was going on. Um, I also then went upstairs to the fourth floor and did see the um, adult section, um, you know, including books, pardon me, including books like these, 
The Care and Keeping of You, the body book for younger girls by American Girl. It says celebrating 20 years, more than 4 million copies sold. And The Care and Keeping of You, the body book for older girls, um, as well as a number um, of other books. Um, but specifically, it was really disturbing to see these up on the fourth floor away from the reach of um, the people that are meant to have access to these books. Um, Evidence-based, scientifically based, and not just, um, one of the doctors in our town um, sent in an email about this and specifically said it was just about puberty, about hormones, about relationships, about taking care of your body, about understanding these things. Those things are not pornographic, nor are they obscene. Um, but that's what kind of led me to really this concern about how are we defining um, the criteria for the books that are entering this space, and how are we providing that information to the community when I, even on the council, did not know. So I'm going to go now through um, this item. And I do think that one of the other public commenters earlier saying that, um, you know, two people. One is that this was maybe onerous and requires too much work. Uh, and then the, uh, on the opposite end, it's fail to plan, plan to fail. Uh, I think that the point is, is this should have all been done before anything happened, before any books were moved. Um, and we should always um, have a solid framework for anything we do, especially when it's impacting so many people in the community. So, following the enactment of Resolution 2023-41 by Council, uh, 4-3, Bolton, Mosier, and Kalmuck voting no on October 17th, significant changes have been made to the accessibility of library materials based on whether the materials contain content of sexual nature. As I understand, the changes include the relocation of certain materials from the children's section and the teen section to an adult-only section. There is no adult-only section prior to last Wednesday. And the requirement for parental consent for minors under the age of 18 to access these materials. Additionally, the reorganization has led to the removal, as I mentioned, of signage for specific library areas, notably the teen central area, and the introduction of new guidelines for library access based on age and card type. The implementation of this resolution has raised concerns among community members regarding access to library materials and the criteria used for restricting such access. It's imperative that we provide clear and transparent information and that we engage with the community on these changes. And it's essential to uphold the public's trust and ensure that the library remains a welcoming and inclusive space for all users. And as much as I would like this information, I've, I heard a solid request from the community after Wednesday as things started to get moved that they really wanted to better understand why these things were happening. Um, and frankly, I think that our librarians are also a little bit concerned about the changes kind of going back and forth on what the criteria is. So with the request. I request the city staff to prepare a comprehensive report on the following aspects related to this implementation of this resolution. One, criteria for material assessment and relocation, a detailed explanation of the specific criteria used to determine whether a book or material contains, quote, content of a sexual nature as defined by the resolution. This should include examples of content that led to the relocation of materials to the adult section. So 
Um, I think it's, it's really important that we have this identified, documented, and defined for the community as well as for our librarians. Um, this is obviously a polarizing and divisive issue. They're put in a very difficult spot, especially since this is not uh, relying on their expertise um, and their professional education, um, but instead is relying on this definition. So it's imperative we have this very specific criteria outlined in documented in written form. Two, a list of relocated materials. A transparent, accessible, and readily available list of all books and materials that have been moved to comply with the resolution. Importantly, this list should detail the specific portions of a book or material that triggered each location. For example, what page number, which of the above criteria from the previous item applied, the date that it was reshelved, and the quantity of books and materials that were reshelved. I know it seems onerous, but frankly, I don't think this should be happening in the first place, but if we're going to do it, we should be transparent about how we're proceeding with it. So um, we should say what triggered the move, where it triggered it, that way people can go to look for that. Number three, newly acquired materials. A description of how books and materials coming into the library's collection will be assessed, where the books and materials will reside while awaiting assessment, and where such books and materials will be located to comply with the resolution. I know it was mentioned last week that some of the books were pulled off the shelves for review and they'd be put back later. Um, some of those books did end up on the fourth floor, but I'd like to better understand what happens in the meantime. Number four, library access changes. Clarification on the physical changes made to library areas, particularly regarding access for teens and young adults. This should include an explanation of the enforcement mechanisms for the new access rules based on age, card type, and guardian presence. With the removal of the teen central area, all of the young adult books are there. Um, in the resolution and in discussion um, with the council previously, um, there was some discrepancy about um, what children's or youth books are. Um, young adults books are 17 to I believe 13, um, and then children's books are underneath that. So unfortunately, our young adults books are now in, in the teen section, and I would better like for them and for me and the community to understand does that mean that they no longer have access to that section if they don't have the proper uh, library card, which we'll get to? Um, and if not, if they don't have access because they, their parent or guardian did not give them access via that card, are they even allowed in that section of the building? And if so, how will that be enforced? Um, I, I have no idea. The thing is, is I've spoken to some of the librarians and we have a, a lot of teens that use our library, which is awesome, especially since they have so many different um, you know, methods of accessing information on their phones, on their computers. The fact that they're going there, studying, working together is, is incredible. Um, but I, as I went to the fourth floor, there is a, a, a large section and, and on other floors as well where people are studying and doing work. Um, and if, are they no longer allowed in that primary main section of the building. I think that's really important that we mention it. I know I talked to um, one of the librarians who said they've been kind of tracking the number of teens in the building um, in any given time, and they were looking at about 150 teens in the building at a given time. 
I don't know if they're going to have to go to the children's section um, or if they're going to have to go down below. There's not that much space. So I want to make sure that we're providing full access and space to our teens and that we are welcoming them into our library. Five, uh, community engagement and feedback process. Uh, description of the process for community members to provide feedback or contest the relocation of specific materials, including the steps for completing a material evaluation form in the review process. Currently, um, in our, see, our collection development policy, we do have that material evaluation form, which has been used in the past to try to, and has been, been used successfully to move books outside of certain sections. Um, I did look at the form. Um, it doesn't quite speak to the potential of moving something back. Um, and then also, in this case, I think adding to that um, perhaps the, the criteria that was used to move it initially, some more information or consideration needs to take place with regards to that community engagement and feedback process. Number six, digital assets. There has been almost no discussion of how this process works with regards to digital assets the library offers our residents. Um, please provide a discussion of how new youth cards will be able to access the resources provided online. Uh, I was at the Community and Library Services Commission meeting on Wednesday night uh, to give public comments because I wanted to let them know what was happening at the library. They're on the Community and Library Services Commission. Um, I don't think that they were aware of what was occurring at that point either. Um, and that night, um, one of our librarians did an excellent presentation on the Libby app and all sorts of other ways to access digital um, materials in our library. And it got me thinking, um, what is the impact going to be to those um, digital asset ac access points? And will our youth no longer be able to access these books in the palm of their hands, maybe if they can't get to the library? Number seven. Clarification on the youth recarding process. In light of the changes introduced by this resolution, there is significant need for a clear understanding of the new youth recarding process to will affect youth library card holders and their parents or guardians. For this section A, recarding procedure, a detailed overview of the process for transitioning current youth library card holders to the new card system, including any steps that need to be completed by parents or guardians. This should specify whether the process can be initiated by any parent or guardian or must be conducted by the individual who originally signed the youth up for library access. Um, it's my understanding that on March 1st, and I, tell me if I'm wrong, that all of our youth cards will be expired. And that means that all of those uh, parents or guardians will need to, I believe, come down to the library to um, sign their youth back up with and select the type of card that they'd like, either the children's area only card or the kind of all access pass card. B, in-person requirements and alternatives. Clarification on whether the recording process must be completed in person at library facilities and if so, what alternatives exist for parents or guardians who are unable to comply with in-person requirements, for example, due to logistical constraints or health concerns? I would hate for one of our youth to not be able to get back into the library section where they need to get access to high school-aged books and, and higher um, because perhaps their parent is unable to get to the library to make this change um, and give them access via the card. Um, C, dispute resolution, guidelines on how disagreements between parents or guardians regarding the appropriate card type for their child will be resolved by library staff. 
This includes scenarios where parents may have differing views on the accessibility of certain materials for their children. D, impact on library resources and services. An assessment of how the recarding process and the associated changes in library access will impact library resources and services. This should consider both the logistical aspects of implementing the recarding process and the broader implications for library services available to youth in the community. So it's my understanding that we have over 8,000 of these cards. So what if like, and I doubt this is gonna happen, but everyone came in on a couple of days. Like what would that do to the library? We should understand the potential impact of that. And also on the communications to the community. I understand they're going to get an email um, to the email address that they signed up with. I know a lot of people don't read all of their emails. Um, I think we need to do a really good job of getting out to the community, letting them know what's happening, more so through a social media campaign as well, not just sending an email um, to the original email address. Also, what's not listed on here is an update on the criteria and what's happening with the library review committee. Um, because these changes that have happened in the last week had nothing to do, as far as I know, with any committee that's been put together because um, I, I believed from what I've heard in my city manager discussions that um, I think that that's still sitting with our city attorney's office um, with regards to the creation of that. Um, so I'd like to understand what the, an update is, a timeline, and the criteria for that committee. Um, <clears throat> Also, for all of this that I've asked for, I think this report is requested to be prepared and presented at the next available city council meeting. In the interim, staff is also asked to make the criteria for assessment and relocation and the list of relocated books and materials available to the public as soon as possible and available at each and every library location and via the library website to ensure ongoing transparency and community engagement. Um, you know, somebody earlier said that uh, this was an effort to sabotage this resolution. Well, I certainly do not think that this resolution should be implemented. I think it's wrong. Um, I think it's wrong for our youth. I don't think that they're being protected by this at all. I think it's, in fact, the opposite. Um, but a detailed project plan and framework um, needs to be provided for anything that we're doing like this. The community deserves, at the very least, to have that type of information. And one more thing on this too. We did have a, a public speaker talk about um, Next Benedict, uh, the 16-year-old from Tulsa, Oklahoma, who um, they were brutally beaten by fellow students um, and ended up passing away uh, the following day. I know Tulsa is not here. However, what happened there and what happens via hate crimes and incidents that I am made aware of as well here in this county can potentially be attributed to government rhetoric that can create an environment that is not only unwelcoming, but intolerant. We need to be creating inviting and welcoming spaces for our youth and the library is just that. It's a place of peace and calm and access to information. And it is a place that acts as windows and mirrors, windows so that people can see into other people and other ways of living, and mirrors so people can see themselves. And an eight-year-old should be able to see this. 
They should be able to see themselves, better understand through scientific information that's been there for, as it says, 20 years. This isn't new. Um, they should be able to have that information. Um, and then one other person said something about that the librarians should not be filling uh, the role of um, creating a political narrative. Uh, it's not the role of city employees. I 100% agree. That's why they should have all of the information readily available to them in print. If it changes, everyone should have that access as well um, because they're not trying to be political. They're trying to do their job and we are impairing them from being able to do that. One, by passing this, and two, by not providing them with specific and clear information so that they can do the job that's being asked of them. Uh, that's it for now. And I would move the item as well. I'll second it. Yeah, if you'd like to say something. Thank you. Um, thank you, Councilmember Mosher, for introducing that item and I think covering quite a bit of it. Um, I had some technical questions, as I generally do, um, with regard to kind of how this moved forward. Um, my understanding is that we have a municipal code section, section 2.30.030, um, discussing the directors of power and duties of the Department of Community and Library Services. Um, effectively states that the community, excuse me, the director of community and library services shall be appointed by the city manager, and the director shall have the following powers and duties, and it goes A through N. N being, preserve the library bill of rights by challenging censorship and affirming that all libraries are forms for information and ideas, and that library resources be provided for the interest in information and enlightenment of the people. That's in our municipal code. Um, my understanding is that, not my understanding, the city council passed a resolution and my understanding of laws that resolution, ordinance, charter, then we go to the state. Um, so I don't quite understand how we can censor books because moving books from one section to another and prohibiting them from younger people from accessing them uh, is censorship. When we go to the Library Bill of Rights, which is referenced by this, the Library Bill of Rights, states um, a number of things, but um, one of them is that libraries should challenge censorship and the fulfillment of the responsibilities provide information and enlightenment. And a person's right to use a library should not be denied or abridged because of origin, age, age, background, or views. It's in our municipal code, references that, states that libraries should do that. I received an email from a resident who had done a public records request from the director of community and library services directing the librarians to start moving books based on the criteria of the resolution 202341, section 1A, I believe, using Wikipedia's definition of, of um, sexual content. I don't understand how she was able to give that order when it's in direct violation of the municipal code. So I don't know if that's a question for the city attorney or for our director there, but somebody directed somebody to do something and our municipal code, I had thought we had to amend our municipal code before any of this went into effect, including creating the committee um, to 
uh, effectively decide what books are going to come into our library in the children's section. So I guess the city attorney may answer that. I don't know who gave the order to start moving books and under what authority if our municipal code says you can't do that. Well, I'm going to defer to our city manager on the giving orders. Um, we don't give orders from the city attorney's office, but I will offer some insight uh, briefly. Uh, this is an H item, so I'm happy to come back after uh, looking at these questions and taking your questions and give bring some more information back at the next meeting. But briefly, um, what the resolution asks the uh, library to do um, is, is not censorship. I know, I, know as far as, I know as far as you're concerned, as a political statement, it's censorship. I get it. But as a matter of law, as a matter of law, it is not censorship. So I get your point, but um, it's not actually in conflict from, from a legal definition, from a legal standpoint. So, and, and that's, you know, if, if council wants to revise the resolution or revise ordinances or whatever, that's totally your prerogative. But as a matter of law, what the, what the library is um, undertaking at council's direction pursuant to the resolution is not in conflict with the ordinance itself. So the ordinance references the Library Bill of Rights, and the Library Bill of Rights states a person's right to use a library should not be denied or abridged because of origin, age, background, or views. I, I get it. And we, and we can have a legal debate all you want, yeah. but, 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 but having books... I'm just saying, so, but there was no... Uh, have, have, what it comes down to... Council Member Kelmick, if I could finish having books moved away from children that the council has deemed as a matter of policy objectionable to and move, having them move to another part of the library and requiring parental involvement in order for their children to access those books is not censorship as a matter of law and doesn't fly in the face of any bill of rights. It doesn't fly in the face of what you just read. So. Um, okay. It, it I is, just, it, and if council wants to give different direction, council's welcome to do that. But as a matter of law, I'm just telling you, they're not inconsistent. They're not in conflict. Okay. And that was I, that was what we didn't get as part of this. It basically, an email uh, directing staff council wasn't made aware that this was going to happen. Um, you know, again, I was under the consideration that denying access or abridging access to books based on age was in our municipal code. Um, and so, again, like, if the city manager is directing staff to, to implement the resolution, it felt like it was in contradiction of the ordinance. As, as the city attorney, you're saying that it's not, in your opinion. So and that's, I wanted to at least understand what that was. Um, so, okay, that, that gets us to how apparently we were able to do that. Um, again, I think that Councilmember Mosher's item for transparency and understanding this process, it doesn't sound like there's a written like document, I would love, I mean, each book being pulled off the shelf should have a form that goes with it that says, here's why, and here's the page, and here's what, here's what we found objectionable. We should document, we're a government, we're a bureaucracy, like we develop policies and processes. To me, it seemed like this was just, hey, let's go make a, make, take a shot at it, and we're pulling books off the shelf, we're pulling the eyewitness book of boats off the shelf, um, because there's drawings of bare-breasted mermaids in them. Uh, that's not sexual content, and there's a legal definition of that, right? Like, and I don't know why we weren't given advice from uh, basically a framework for staff to be able to, to implement this policy. And so I think that this item is, uh, helps protect the city um, because I know there's a lot of folks that are upset about kind of how this went down. And I think if, again, I disagree with the policy to begin with, but if we're going to implement it, we should implement it like the size of the city we are and not in a rinky-dink manner an ad hoc manner, a, a verbal manner, where we're directing, like, hey, just go figure out what, let's use the Wikipedia definition 
um, which and apparently I think anybody can go online and change at any time uh, as long as the, the Wikipedia community agrees with that change in definition. So I, I think basing it on a non uh, or basing it on an ephemeral definition is, is not something that would make any sense. Um, and then as we create these library cards, the second tier of library cards, I was, uh, I actually sit on my daughter's school's, uh, school site council and one of the concerns that they had uh, from the school standpoint was the, the fall off in, um, in t test scores and um, just kind of memory from the summer and coming back and you know one of those things you know we have a summer reading program and we'd love to be able to communicate that to folks and so I said well, you know what it would be great if we got every kid in our school districts a library card so that they would already be they you know we could message them and talk to their parents and really get kids in exciting reading and then I found about SB 321 uh, which effectively says that all third graders have to have library cards by 2026 some sort of library card um, and so as we kind of move through this process, I want to make sure that we have the ability to meet those goals and don't have to reinvent the wheel as we create a second um, tier. I just want, that was not necessarily germane to this item, but it was just something that if we're creating secondary business or secondary library cards, it's something that we should probably um, take into account. So um, that was, I, I got some good information uh, on the legality of, of the process, but um, I, I would like to see documentation and a, objective process if we're gonna uh, move forward with this because it's, I mean, we can't work on a, on a squishy definition. Thank you. So I have a question, if I may. Council Member Bolton. Thank you, so I wanna make sure I understand this correctly because I also was not aware that books were gonna be moved before I started seeing things posted on social media. I don't understand why the staff had to move books without any clear criteria or definition. And there is no way a city of this size and sophistication should be doing any type of activity by reference to Wikipedia as the basis for making any kind of decisions. These books are not ours. They belong to the public. And so we have to do a much better job of helping people understand why the city is doing what it is doing. So my, my question is, why did this happen last week? Why did it have to start last week in the absence of any kind of credible standards for those books to be moved? So staff is making a, a good faith effort to comply with uh, the direction of council. That's why it started. In the absence of any credible standards, though, for the for the librarians to use to, I mean, the the, the universe of books that are being r removed run the gamut from the book about boats to the potty training and God knows what else. <laughs> Can't we just rely on the expertise of the uh, librarians to? Yeah. Not when it comes to something like this, because this is this is this is not their measure. This is not their measure. They, they, this is not what they are. You know, they are supposed to apply the Library Book of Rights, which is what's in the Municipal Code. So you have to give them some type of standard. I mean, they've this doesn't fit into the standards that they had that they've been following up to now. I think that's a good point, but I'd like to call the question. I'd like to actually make another comment just to finalize since it's my item, if that's okay. Sure, thank you. 
Um, just with regards to um, the municipal code question, it was my understanding that nothing was going to happen until that question was clarified. Um, and it does say that we are supposed to be following the Library Bill of Rights. And Councilmember McCalmick mentioned the um, number five of that, a person's right to use the library should not be denied or abridged because of origin, age, background, or views. On the Library Bill of Rights, they have interpretation of the Library Bill of Rights. And I highlighted three sections that I just wanted, I thought it was important that be read because that is our municipal code, the law that we're supposed to be following. Access to library resources and services for minors. Library policies and procedures that effectively deny minors equal and equitable access to all library resources available to other users violate the Library Bill of Rights. The American Library Association opposes all attempts to restrict access to library services, materials, and facilities based on the age of library users. Second one. Access to library resources and services regardless of sex, gender, identity, gender expression, or sexual orientation. The American Library Association stringently and unequivocally maintains that libraries and librarians have an obligation to resist efforts that systematically exclude materials dealing with any subject matter, including sex, gender identity, or sexual orientation. And the last one I'll mention, there's many more, but that I think is particular here, is restricted access to library materials. Libraries are a traditional forum for the open exchange of information. Attempts to restrict access to library materials violate the basic tenets of the Library Bill of Rights. And what I have read on the different language with regards to banning and everything else, which I know we've kind of gotten looped into, is restricting. The books that are on the fourth floor that should be in the children's section presently, and potentially the young adult books that maybe young adults won't have access to, that is restriction. So I, I don't want our municipal code to be changed, but I don't know how we proceeded to do any of this based upon the fact that it is part of our law that we will follow our municipal code, which includes that we will follow the Library Bill of Rights. So I, I am concerned that, and I feel like it's been, it was at the city attorney's office, and I don't know how it then ended up being asked of our community library services department and then our librarians to make these decisions that are obviously not legal based upon our municipal code. Mayor. I, I, know, I know it was her item, but I just have two points. Um, I want to, one, go back to the city attorney. The city attorney, you've looked at the ordinance, you looked at the resolution, and, and you've looked at this from your office standpoint. Is there any part of this that's out of compliance or, or against the law? No. Okay. Um, and number two, um, I just think this item is just trying to re-debate the item that we passed on October 17, 2023. And a lot of the items that have been discussed, it's just you didn't like the first vote, so now you want to come in and just kind of push and say, well, this is against the law. Well, our city attorney is the attorney for Huntington Beach. Um, and this item has been passed uh, in October 17, 2023. I understand it was 4-3, but it seems like the members uh, that were on the other side um, want to kind of re-debate this. And for those reasons, I'm voting no on item number 24. So I would love to re-debate it, and I know that that's not going to happen, right? It sounds like 
Well, what we're doing tonight is providing a framework for the public for transparency, which is what I understand many of the people here campaigned on. And I think it's imperative that our, the public has a right to know. They have a right to know what's happening with the resolution that I didn't approve of, but you did, and that's fine. So we need to move forward and make sure that they have the right to know, as do the librarians have the right to know, how they should proceed. I think that's only fair. And we can agree to disagree. Without on the, being disagreeable. Sure. Okay. We can agree to disagree without being disagreeable. I'll take a drink for that. Okay. Uh, but I think that the key part of what I asked for in this, and maybe shame on me for talking about the resolution and how I didn't agree with it, but what I've asked for here, specifically in the item, is to provide a framework for transparency. And I think that you can agree upon that. Well, and, and this item is just getting started and implemented. We haven't even appointed, we haven't even appointed uh, the community members on this. You panel. haven't, yet the book started moving. Okay. So it shouldn't have moved. Okay, so my turn. Yes. So I believe that you are asking for an audit of a program that hasn't even been fully implemented. It's pre I'm still talking. I know you're thinking while I'm talking. Um, it hasn't been implemented. We, will, we do believe in transparency. All these questions will be answered. By the way, great questions, so thank you. But excuse me, you had your turn. You had your turn. You guys have been yelling. You guys have been yelling from up there. You've been yelling from the stands all night. I've let you guys, I love the passion, like I said, but there's no, you guys should not be rude to the council members. We've been sitting here quietly. I can't see past that wall, so I'm looking in this direction. So please be respectful. It's been a long night. It's been a long night. You're still. Why are you still talking? Stop. Okay, that's. Do we have to remove people? Okay, that's it. Do we have to. Next person that yells is going to be removed. In my opinion, it's premature. Great questions. We will have the answers to them as it's being implemented. That's what I have to say about that. It is being implemented already. Yes, and you will have the answers. But it's, it's being implemented, implemented already. Okay. So these, this information needs to be available to people. So we have, they have transparency. This is, is it was your item. Um, it passed. I think it's very important that I, I understand it's something that's in process, but nothing should have happened without a plan. The plan should be public. This is obviously a, a polarizing, divisive issue. The people in the community need to know. March 1st, these cards are getting expired. I think it's, it's imperative that the community knows what's happening. Parents need to know what they need to do for their kids. High school students need to know what's going to happen if they don't have this card. Maybe they don't, don't have a parent or guardian that can go in. I think it's important that they understand what the path is, what the program is, what the framework is. And yes, I, I'm sure that things can be adjusted over time as things change. I'm not saying that. But right now, things are already being implemented. Things are on a timeline coming up very quickly. The teen central sign came down. That's now an adult section. And if, if these cards come forward, are teens going to be allowed to be in that section of the library? From what I've read, they won't. And I think it's important that they know that. And I don't think it's a negative to have transparency for them. I, I think I appreciate, I'm glad I provided a framework. We should have had it before we proceeded, but we have an opportunity now, and I think all of us can agree that we should be transparent. The public is asking for it. That's why I brought it forward. Okay. You made a motion, it's been seconded. Mayor Pro Tem, call the question, let's vote. 
Councilmember Mosier? Aye. Bolton? Aye. Burns? Nope. Vandermark? No. Strickland? No. Kalmick? Aye. All right, the item fails, 3-3. Three, three. Motion to adjourn, Council second. Councilmember Kean, absent.